0: welcome to the sure dog radio network preview for ufc fight night 215 lewis versus spivak also known as ufc vegas 65. i'm your host ben duffy of suredog.com with me back in the co-pilot's chair after his sojourn to new york city is keith schillen the executive producer of the sure dog radio network keith i know you you hurried home today to be able to get in this preview
1: yeah there's no, had nothing I mean, to do with seeing my wife and kids. Had nothing to do with that. No, 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 no. I had nothing to
0: do with like, <laughs> <laughs> The fans demand a, really a full breakdown of UFC <laughs> Vegas 65. I mean, we did a, a full length and then some recap last night. Uh, Dev Goes Fishing, you know, Devin Vasquez, uh, fantastic longtime listener and sometime collaborator, stepped in for you, did a real good job. But... Considering yeah, that you were there physically at the Fighter Hotel, at the event, at the post fight presser, we would be remiss in not giving at least a few minutes to to look bow- backward at this past weekend. I mean, what was good? It was a wild card. What was it like in the arena? Yeah.
1: Uh just yeah, it was crazy. It was it was uh, you know, being the longtime fan and it's actually a question that I asked Dan under the press card was just going from and, you know it was the 29th anniversary of the first UFC, and I, I'm not going to be one of those people who say I watched the first UFC, but I started UFC 6, so pretty early on. And to think about those days where you could buy a ticket when they were at Mohegan Sun, Jens Pulver versus BJ Pett, and just walk right down to the front row and, and you know, to be where it is now in Madison Square Garden, in Times Square, the big billboards everywhere. Uh, people on the streets wearing shirts and stuff. It was it was fantastic. And then actually in the arena, Michael Chandler said this, and uh, I, I think it might have been Poria who also said it about the, or maybe it was maybe it Frankie Frank Yeager or somebody about the the arena. It the way, and obviously I obviously had all of it, the way it sounds. It just it's so loud at the moments when Pejea and Adesanya entrances, and I don't know how it was on. Pay per view, but live was it gave me chills. They were two of the best entrances for his. With the, yeah. I apologize if I, if I say this wrong, but like the indigenous people that that's his you know, yeah. his background, the chanting or, or whatever that is, it was like goosebumps. And then for again, like I don't know what was on the pay per view, how it showed, but Adesanya with the saw a theme with the music and the bloody name dripping down and, and the face changing to his. And like, it, it really felt like a marketing WWF type WWE type thing. And it was just, or, or like how boxing does it where they have, you know, a, a rapper coming down with Floyd Mayweather, stuff like that. It, it just felt so big. It felt mainstream, Mm-hmm. Uh, it felt it felt at that moment that that was the most important thing going on in the world now obviously i know that's not true yeah. but in that moment but, uh, it felt like that
0: uh no that definitely came across on the broadcast like their their uh, walkouts were were chill inducing I would say that the the co-main walkouts did not go over quite the same. Like Zhang taking forty five minutes to walk to the cage just doesn't <laughs> hit quite the same, yeah. you know. When you're watching it uh, on, so, on your on your screen,
1: yeah, because I didn't really know because I was in the back the whole the whole night. I was in the back. Um, so there was two different areas of press you could be. Um, I was kind of the one looking down, which was fan- it was actually a really fantastic view. I actually loved the view because you almost was looking straight over the octagon, which oh. is such a different angle that you'd get, uh, which was really really cool. I, I came out to that during the Whaley versus the the walkouts, so I, <laughs> I only got the very ending of Carlos's actually, no, Carlos' Files was in the cage. They were doing the introductions when I okay. got to, actually got to my seats because they were still doing the backstage interviews and everything. I kind of wish I went out there for Chandler Poirier, but there was – like, Dan Hooker was coming out doing interviews and that, so I I didn't.
0: Yeah, like, when, when you're it's in it. the media room and they're bringing them through, like – Twenty minutes after their fight ends, and so it's always running into the next fight. It, it's tough, man. You gotta gotta pick your poison.
1: Yeah. Uh, but I'm glad that uh, I was able to be there for the two the two big fights. Awesome.
0: Uh I mean, obviously, there's tons of your video content up on SureDog right now. You got an exclusive uh, with uh, Olympic uh, Olympic wrestling hero David Taylor. Yeah, that's I mean, cool. Anyone who's a regular of our show knows that like that is something that you you know. That, that probably made your week, uh, you know, a little bit.
1: Yeah. So my wife asked me, you know, when I came back, because listen, at the end of the day, I don't get to do this enough. I, I'm not full time. I, I only do this part time. I only cover the events that are really in the Northeast because we got other guys. If something's in the South, you will go to go and yeah. West, and you know, guys who are close. It makes sense. I understand mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So they haven't been to Boston forever. Um, maybe I can do something like New York. Philly, something yeah. like that. I, I can kind of do, but uh, so I can do enough. I I have, and I'm, I'm actually glad this happened. When it comes to media members, I have a fanboy in me, and I'm glad I haven't lost that. Like I try to play cool. I'm going to be professional. I'm not going to ask fighters to take pictures with me. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. But I want to. <laughs> like I still have that in me. <laughs> like I still have the fanboy in me, and I, I'm still excited when I run into people and talk to people. Uh, and I'm glad that hasn't happened. Like other guys, the, you know, um, like we went to the media day and guys, everybody was complaining. There was 22 fighters at the media. And I'm like, like they were complaining too much. And I'm like, man, there's 14 fights on this card. Let's get the other guys who, well, <laughs> like, why don't, why don't we just do everybody? <laughs> like that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Like I'm doing the opposite. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm, I mean. You know, we don't get everybody.
0: And I'm I'm not calling anybody in particular out when I when I say this because I think at the very least the kind of core of people that cover UFC events live are extremely professional and very diligent sure. about their jobs. But it's possible I think to to get jaded if you're one of the just serious yeah. road dogs who's who yeah. like travels with the circus forty weeks
1: a yeah. year. It's John Morgan, uh, I get it, I get it. Yeah, and then and like it is draining. Like as much as it is, I was absolutely drained. Yeah, like coming back today, but oh, so what I was gonna say was it was kind of like three highlights, and, and, and I'm glad you said this. So, f- just being there as a highlight, but I, I I really pointed out that that the walkouts were running into David Taylor. Not not that it was like meeting like you know a celebrity or something like that, yeah. but uh, not it was more not expecting it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was saying, the Nolan King of MMA Junkie, I, I said. I was super excited to run into David Taylor because I wasn't expecting him at an MMA event. But if it would be the opposite if I was at a NCAA wrestling championship and Israel Asani was there. Then I would be excited to see him because <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. you know. Mm-hmm. And then the coolest thing, and, and this has always been number one for me, is uh, I ran into a, to a bunch of listeners uh, of our show. And, and that was cool. I, I want to I give a shout-out to them. Um, un- unfortunately, I actually forgot to ask last names of some of them, so I apologize. But they don't, they'll know who they are. Um, I, I gotta find where I wrote this down. One was uh, Nate and Kevin. Uh, they're a father and son. I met them in the in the lobby. Actually, right before I I interviewed David Taylor, they're from New Jersey. Uh, they both watch our show, so that was really cool. Um, they came up to me, which was cool. While I was walking to the arena, you know, there was an entrance for media, but there was like. You know, gate A is a huge line of people. Gate sure. B is a huge line of people. Yeah. And I think I was walking by and I heard someone scream out, Shelling and Duffy show. And I turned to my by the I, I was waving. And, and I, I said, you know, I waved back. And then, you know, the guy came over and I started talking. His name was Luis. He's from Brooklyn. So he watches our, our stuff. I tell these guys, none of these guys comment. I said, you guys got to jump on the recap. And the last one, which was really cool uh tom cleary he's from connecticut he's actually worked for heavy.com he's a media member oh okay and i actually cool. went up to him and just started talking to the guy and i you know i introduced myself he goes oh i know you are watch the show and and stuff and then there's a guy i apologize a british guy early in the week i didn't write his name down um but he went up to me on the on the bus to um to the press conference and he said hey I watch your stuff for my preparation and stuff so that, that was really I okay apologize. so he's, I he's a media guy he's a media guy too oh, okay it so, was it was I it was like
0: oscar willis no
1: no no <laughs> <I'm kidding>. no <laughs>
0: Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm used to you know kind of where you know you're in the media line and like one of the gates is right next to you. I'm just used to people running over and asking the schmo to put his glasses on for a photo with him. Yeah, you know Dave, yeah,
1: hold hold the phone to so we take a picture with John Morgan. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I actually I actually did that for my son Adam because uh, to basically make fun of him because I I sent him some pictures from press row a couple events ago, like maybe you know back in May. He's like. Whoa! is that John Morgan? I'm like, dude. Yes. Here. Fine. I'll take. Go take a
1: picture with John Morgan yeah, for you. Everybody loves John Morgan.
0: Yep. Hey. It. it yeah, he's a lovable guy.
1: Yeah. He's the
0: man. Yeah. All right. Well, tell you what. If if I if I don't like switch lanes, we're gonna yeah. talk for an hour about US <laughs> 281. Recap. Yeah. We're be like. Recap. So. I'll have to tell Fridley on Tuesday. So we don't have a preview, but we do have two recap. How's that sound? <laughs> yeah, yeah. His,
1: his, um, his, his, uh, his is doing a 30 second prediction. Here you go.
0: Yeah. Uh, UFC fight night, 215 UFC's back at the apex. We've t- we talk about it multiple times a year, especially after one of the massive pay-per-views, you know, the Madison square garden event, the, the mid event, any of these ones that have multiple title fights on them. There's always that, you know, breakfast the day after thanksgiving it's like (laughs) i I know i gotta eat something but i i don't feel hungry and what i got isn't as cool as what i had yesterday by those standards i mean i'm gonna venture an opinion here there are some action fights on this card for sure i mean andre fialio and muslim salikov is probably gonna like feature some some crazy stuff we've got an unranked heavyweight fight on the main card so it feels good to be back in fight night world again (laughs) uh but in terms of divisional relevance, I mean, the co-main between Kennedy, Zechikwu, and uh, Yuan Kudalaba, they're two inconsistent guys, but the guy who wins that fight is probably on the edge of the top 15. Lewis versus Spivak, those are two top 10 guys. That, that's about as good as you can ask for from a fight night these days, is some amount of divisional relevance at the top of the card. But man, this, this undercard is, I think it's actually even worse than it looks because it has some name recognition. You're like, oh, I know these names. And then you look a little deeper. Yeah, I know these names, but they're on bad losing streaks. Mm-hmm. Or I know them because they've, they've been on Dana White's Contender Series three times and keep losing. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, cause dude, this is, this is an indicator of kind of the health of the Contender Series and of the UFC. When the Contender Series launched in, you know, 2017, 2018, they signed one fighter per episode, one winner. So they'd yeah. have 10, fi- 10 fighters, yeah. one would get signed. Like some really good fighters didn't get signed Off the contender series that season, like dude, Chris Curtis, you know, didn't get signed after not going to do it out in the first round, you know, by the third season, most of the winners were getting signed by now winners and some of the losers, dude, (laughs) this undercard has five fighters on it who lost on the contender series and ended up getting signed later anyway, like it's beyond the point where being a contender series veteran matters at all. And, you know, the the joke is, of course, that these fight night undercards are Dana White's Saturday night contender series, where even after you get signed, you have to, you know, win three of the four on your contender series deal, even to get a regular UFC deal and get promoted to to better cards. But this dude, five fighters on the undercard lost on the contender series and are still in the UFC. Like, what's the contender series even for at that point? (laughs) Yeah. Um. That, that's about all I got to say. They're there going to be some fun fights.
1: What's your what's your grade overall? C. Yeah, but,
0: that's
1: exactly what I was thinking.
0: C. I mean, and the thing is, the main card is a B and the undercard is a D and okay. it kind of averages out. Because <laughs> the, the main card, or I mean, top, let's say the top six fights, because I'm not sure whether they're going to open the main card with De Della versus Roberts or Brundage versus Vieta. But those top five or six fights are actually pretty good, except for the unranked heavyweight fight.
1: Yeah, I'll say this. When I looked over the card and why I gave it a C, again, not a lot of divisional relevance. You know, there's no one that you know, like, oh, this he gets a win, he's gonna go on to bigger things, other than maybe speed back if he gets a win over Lewis in the main event. Yeah. But what I like about the card is it's hard to pick winners. It's there's maybe one or two fights where it's really easy to pick the winner, mm-hmm. other ones really a lot of toss ups. And that's good. That's a good thing yeah. to know.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the difference between this as mediocre as this undercard is and a Bellator undercard where it's a bunch of people whose names you don't know. And there's a bunch of minus 800 favorites or Uh or fights where you're not even finding lines on them because it's such a ridiculous matchup. It's not going to be a carnival of slaughter like, you know, uh, one of your Bellator Mohegan cards. Uh, Having said that, shall shall we dig into these? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, First up. On the UFC Vegas 65 prelims, at least as the card is currently structured, is a flyweight matchup between Natalia Silva and Teresa Bleda. Silva, the 25-year-old Brazilian, is 13-5-1 overall. She is 1-0 in the UFC, made her UFC debut back in June at UFC on ESPN Cater versus Emmett after a two and a half year absence from the sport, just came back to relatively little fanfare, came in as an underdog to Jasmine Yazdavicious, and uh, surprised, at least some, certainly surprised me by taking a pretty easy decision over her. So she will look to make it two in a row and uh, ruin the debut of Bleda. The 20 year old Czech, uh, yes, you heard that right. And she just barely turned, or no, sorry, she's gonna turn 21 in a couple weeks. Yeah, that's it. She's 20, gonna be 21 in a couple weeks. One of the youngest fighters in the UFC. Uh, she is a perfect 6-0 in her mixed martial arts career. She won on the Contender Series back in September, uh, taking a unanimous decision over Nayara, Maya. And uh, here here she comes in, looking to uh, keep the undefeated record going. She is not favored to do so. Silva is actually minus 175 as the favorite. Blade a plus 150 uh, on the comeback. Uh, I'll jump in here. now. I, I'm saying this in full recognition of the fact that I underestimated Natalia Silva in her debut. I thought just, you know, two and a half years away, she could have improved between then and now, but she's gonna be undersized compared to Yazdavisius. And Yazdavisius had really ground out an impressive win over a similarly undersized fighter in Kay Hansen in her last fight. So I, I figured the safe uh, the safe bet was Yazdavisius and Silva handled her. Uh, just fought off all the takedowns, marked her up on the feet. I'm, I, th- I guess I'm underestimating her again because I think Blada actually has some pretty good upside here. Uh, Blada, I mean, she's she's 20 years old. You you love that. She is a physical specimen. She is a big flyweight and she is physically a tank. If you, I mean, if you look at her record, she's six and zero. Oh, she's only been a pro for about two and a half years, as you would expect of a 20 year old. And what you don't see here is. In addition to her wins, uh, all of which were at Octagon MMA, the Czech Republic's main promotion prior to being on the Contender Series, she also had an exhibition against former, now once again, UFC flyweight Lucy Pudilova. That's an interesting fight to watch. It's listed as an exhibition in the Sherdog Fight Finder as well as Tapology because it was kind of a a weird, like one night tournament, uh, like uh, custom rules. Uh, fight. Like, if you if you watch the fights from uh, Octagon Underground 3, which was back in May of 2020, basically, there was no ground time. Anytime someone got a clean takedown, the ref stood him up like three seconds later. The good news is, she got a lot of takedowns It got stood up a lot of times, because she threw Lucy Podolova all over the place like a ragdoll. And that's back when she was 18 years old. Uh, she... She's a developing striker, I'll say. I mean, she has a boxing background, and you can tell uh, she's she's tall. She's uh, long-limbed, throws a pretty nice uh, straight jab with some power on it. Doesn't have – I don't think she has, like, real tremendous hand or foot speed, and maybe that's just part of being a big flyweight. But uh, in terms of, of grappling, she's a powerful wrestler. She actually can shoot from the outside. Um, her fight on the Contender Series was basically another case of her – kind of throwing a smaller woman all over the place. But the thing in that fight was, uh, Maya was constantly trying to submit her and she just spent most of the fight in guard, like shrugging off submission attempts, getting in some ground and pound, and just seemed really comfortable as an overpowering top position uh, grappler. I think that's gonna stand her in good stead here against uh Silva. Now, I guessed incorrectly that Yazdavisius was gonna be able to take Silva down. I'm making that guess here again with Bleda. Uh, I mean, Blada is even bigger than Yazdavisius. She's younger, she's more athletic. She, I think she has a better striking game to to either set up her takedowns or give her an alternative if they aren't coming in, in the early part of the fight. But I see this as a bit of a coming out party for uh, Teresa Bleda. Give me Bleda by a pretty dominant, unanimous decision here. And I, I think we may see a little bit of hype start to crank up. I mean, her nickname is Ronda. Honestly, she looks a little bit like like Ronda Rousey. And if she has this sort of, if she carries over this sort of physicality where she's just throwing women around with just obvious like superior uh, strength, kind of like Ronda Rousey did for most of her career, uh, sky's the limit. So yeah, I am, I am conservatively optimistic about the prospects of 20-year-old Teresa Bleda. Give me Bleda to get it done by decision here.
1: Yeah, this is a really good fight. Uh, I'm glad that you're seeing a lot of things I'm seeing. Like, uh, I think I'm a little high on Silver than you are. I think I think she's I think she's good. I uh, I think she's well rounded. I think she's got great footwork. Uh, she works uh, out of both stances. High volume, pretty technically sound striker. She uses feints well. Fast hands, accurate. Uh, I like that she throws a lot of combinations. Beautiful check hook. Um, she does throw a lot of arm punches, which is kind of zaps her power a little bit. And, and she kind of she can drop her hands as so she throws from her hips, which which will actually sometimes be a benefit because you, you land from different angles. But also, she, it's it's a defensive uh, liability. I, I love the dexterity of her hips, though. Like she throws kicks so easily. Uh, she throws kicks to, from both stances. I like that she can go high kick for both stances. Uh, she does have some defensive holes. She doesn't tuck her chin, which is a little worrisome. Uh, uh, but I like that she wrestles herself a little bit. She will. You know, she understands, like, winning of rounds. She'll catch a kick, get get a fight to the ground. Uh, I like that she can get in the clinch and get get into the upper body lock, get some takedowns there. Good throws. Uh, you mentioned it against her last fight against Jasmine Desonavichis. Uh, sort of, she, you know, stops and takedowns. Jasmine is also a bigger person. She hit a great wizard kick uh, reversal mm-hmm. on Jasmine, which was really nice. Good ground and pound. She has seven subs on her record. Uh, and she's got good cardio, which I like Now, uh, Blada is another one I really like You mentioned how big, like, she's only 20 years old. She's a big woman um, She's very physically strong She she On the feet, she's a little flat-footed uh, She's a serviceable boxer, though Basic one-two, long jab uh, Nice straight right She's really good at wrapping, like, punches around Her opponent's defense So she'll, like, throw one to kind of get the defense up And then the second one comes around uh, She makes mistakes of dropping her hands which I don't like but you said it and she's a good wrestler, a good reactionary double, good, good top control, good ground and pound. Uh, the one thing I don't like is she actually was taken down on the contender series against a person that she was kind of dominating. So that's a little troublesome. I love this fight because I really like both fighters. I think both fighters are going to have success in the UFC. I think they're going to be ones who rise up the rankings. But that said, I also hate the matchup because of that. I wish they were both on the card, but fighting other people early in their, in their careers. Um, Man, I've, I've, I'm glad that you picked uh, Blada because I was so on the fence Um at first. I landed Blada, then I said, "Oh, Silva's a little better on the feet. Can she stop the takedowns?" Uh, so I was really on the fence. So I'm, I'm glad that, like, what am saying? Like, you taking Blada makes me feel like I was right about this fight. Like, it's a really close fight. Uh, I'm actually going to the opposite. I'm going to go Silva because she's more well-rounded. I think she could win the exchanges on the feet. And she showed enough takedown defense in her last fight that I think she'll be able to take it down. But again, that's a huge if. And if Blade just ragdolls her with takedowns, like I'm not going to be surprised because that's, kind of, that's kind of how I was leaning first. Uh, but I'm going to take Silva in a really close uh, decision.
0: All right. Well, we are live right out of the gate. Uh, a little bit of dissension, though. Both of us recognize that this is an intriguing and, and hard-to-call matchup. Next up at UFC Fight Night 215 uh, and is a matchup between Brady Heestand and Fernando Garcia. Uh, Heestand, the 23-year-old from Spokane, Washington, 5-2 overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC. Uh, his lone UFC appearance was last August in his attempt to become the winner of Season 29 of The Ultimate Fighter. He came up short via split decision to Ricky Tercios, who will appear uh, shortly later on this card. He Stan will look to get back to winning ways against Garcia. The 30-year-old Dallas native Fortis MMA product is 10-2 overall. He is 0-1 Uh, Since joining the UFC out of the 2021 uh, Dana White's Contender Series, his debut was at UFC 274 in May, where he dropped a unanimous decision to Journey Newsom. So two young bantamweights still looking for their first UFC win. He stand is a moderate favorite to get it done. He's minus 155. Garcia plus 135 on the comeback. Keith, you have been flying the flag for a while that men's bantamweight is the best division in the sport right now, that the UFC Bantamweight division is the best uh, division in the UFC right now. I've been a little slower to come around, but the thing that always held me back and that I'm sort of started, starting to admit that it's now the case is it now has depth. Cause the one thing that yeah. lightweight and welterweight had over all the other divisions for a long time was depth. Like you had to do so much just to even get into the top 15. You had to win so many fights in a row even to break into the top 10 at 170 uh, at this point 135 is building some serious depth where yeah these are two pretty good fighters and it's still an open question whether either of them is UFC material just because there are so many good bantamweights in the division right now uh let me know who you think wins this one and for the winner at least let me know how much upside you think they actually have
1: yeah um so 135 all the way to 170 is, is that's about the perfect range where it's yeah. so deep. You can make an argument for any one of those divisions uh, because it's so good. Uh, I'd say the upside of He-Stan is probably much higher than Garcia. Garcia, I think he's already 30, and he stands I think he's only 22 or 23. Like He's he's yeah. definitely younger. Uh, so if one of these guys is going to go on to the sacks, I'll take the really younger guy. Now, uh, what we've seen of He-Stan, he's a pressure fighter. He's got some pretty decent pop in his hands. Uh, He can get a wild and and invite a brawl, uh, which could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. Uh, A lot of kicks. I love his step in knees. I like that he does wrestle. He's got some fast entries. He's got a good double, uh, like reactionary double if you pressure him. Uh, I like that he drives, like, right through his opponent's hips um, when they try to, like, land strikes. Uh, This is effective that he can shoot, but sometimes he'll shoot without a setup, which – I, the higher he goes up, he's gonna have to fix that. Uh when he's on top, he's got some good top control. Uh you know, it was, it was a while back, but like you saw what he did with Vince Murdoch. He did a really good job of keeping um Vince Murdoch on his on his back. Good grind at pound. One concern I had, and again, this is going back to like the tough show because kind of fairly recent for him, uh, is he, he gassed out a little bit against Josh Redding uh Reddinghouse in a fight that he probably should have dominated uh garcia garcia i say he's a minus athlete he, he's a little flat-footed uh, he has a boxer that marches down his foes uh which is surprising that he's a guy that normally fights and, and presses forward But his last fight against journey lucerne he probably lost because he refused to let his hands go um or it's a, you know it was a closer fight because he didn't let his hands go like it was one of these it was really frustrating when you're watching it uh he kept he kept landing the same uh Jab hook combo. He kept looking for the same combo over and over again, which is um, really different than what I've recently seen him in other fights. Uh, he loves winging power shots. His left check, uh, his check left hook is probably his best punch. He doesn't check leg kicks, which is troublesome. Uh, he had his like he got his legs kicked out when he was on the Contender Series. He lacks power too. Uh, I think was on the Contender Series to get get the only like KO of his of his career. Excuse me. Uh, he isn't a wrestler, but he is a submission threat. He's got three subs in his career. Uh, prediction, I, I, I like he standing in this one. I like his output, uh, especially after what we saw of Garcia in his last fight. Uh, I also think he has the ability of the two more likely to get the fight to the ground to have the top control, and that's how I kind of think we'll see. I think he might kind of be a slightly better everywhere. Give me he stand by decision.
0: Awesome. Uh, I, I agree with your entire breakdown there. The, the thing about he stand to me is obviously coming into the ultimate fighter 29 finale i i i mean even like waiting for the the season to wrap and for the for the uh the finale to come like i, I knew something was up because like ricky tercios was avoiding me and wouldn't talk to me i think because he was afraid of disclosing like things yeah. that he wasn't supposed to uh I, we'll be talking about him in a minute i'm you know, I'm very open in, in in my love for the guy. But having said that, he stand could have, should have beat Tercios at the tough finale. He lost mostly, I think, because he obliged Tercios with a rookie Tercios fight. Tercios wants just a a wild brawl on the feet that turns into wild scrambles on the ground and just kind of trusts himself to come out on top in those chaotic situations. Heestand could have embraced his wrestling more fully and I think just won a, a more straightforward decision over Tercios in that fight and just couldn't do it. Maybe just too young, too inexperienced, too caught up in the moment. I'm gonna guess that the you know year, the 15 months off or whatever it's been is going to have served him well. You know, he's he's at a good camp in Sikjutsu. He has some veteran uh, training partners there he's going to be just physically more mature and he's already a pretty strong and athletic guy for, for the weight class. I'm expecting a better version of the he stand that we got in, in tough. And yeah, even if he's the same guy he was, I I think, you know, he's at least as good as Fernie Garcia. And if he is matured, if he is seasoned, if he's a more composed version of himself, I think he can beat uh, Garcia with less risk to himself. Give me stand by decision as well. And I fully agree with you that as the guy who's seven years younger, he, he has more upside, but that is that is a tall hill to climb these days at 135. Next up on the UFC Vegas 65 undercard is a strawweight matchup between Vanessa Demopoulos and Maria Oliveira. Demopoulos, the 34-year-old Colorado native, is eight and four overall. Or I'm sorry, not Colorado, Ohio. Uh, she is eight and four, Overall, she is 2 and 1 since joining the UFC as a veteran of the 2020 season of Dana White's Contender Series. She lost there, but uh, picked up a couple wins in LFA, got signed to the UFC where she lost her debut to JJ Aldrich. Since then, she has won back to back fights over Silvana Gomez Juarez and Jin Yu Fry. The most recent of those, the Fry fight, was at UFC on ESPN, Sarukian versus Gamrot, back in June. She will look to make it three in a row and go 3-0 and on the year against Oliveira. The 25-year-old Brazilian is 13-5 overall. She is 1-1 since joining the UFC as a veteran of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil, where she lost. But went back to Brazil, won a couple more fights, got signed to the UFC last October, uh, where she dropped a unanimous decision to Tabitha Ricci in her debut. She came back from that in June at UFC on ESPN, Cater versus Emmett, and won a split decision over Gloria de Paula. So she'll be looking to make it two in a row here. She is the slight favorite to do so, uh, minus 120 uh as the as the favorite demopolis available at even money plus 100 as the very slight underdog keith on the face of it this looks kind of like your classic striker versus grappler matchup to me tell me if you see it any differently than that and, and who you think wins this one
1: yeah i th- I think that's fair but like we want to put this like caveat out there when we say striker versus grappler like when it's not 1995 where it the guy who's the striker has no grappling skills and the person who's a grappler has no striking. So like they both have, but they have their specialists, like they're the mm-hmm. wants to get to the ground and Oliver wants to standing. Yep. Like, but like the has is showing that she can strike a little bit and Oliver actually has gotten some takedowns in her career and stuff. So um, like, I just want to put that caveat out there. Cause sometimes people say, Oh, well, you didn't, what about uh this person got a takedown? last fight? like, yeah, I understand that. Um, uh, so yeah, like even though I said that, like Damavus isn't a striker, but I'll say that she's getting better. Uh, I give her credit; she does some things pretty sound. She keeps her uh, her her strikes in tight. She can be a little right hand happy, uh, but it was actually her overhand right that buckled Jin Yu Fry. Uh, I do want to put this out there. I actually thought Jin Yu Fry beat her, uh, but uh, not a robbery or anything like that. She tends to lack power because she pulls her punches. Um, it, it's because. I think she tries to pull her head out to avoid strikes because she lacks defense because she gets tagged a lot. But to her credit, she eats shots and she's she's freaking tough. Like say what you want about Nopolis and when people throw little jokes on bat, based on her past, um, but she could take a beating. Uh, she gets in the clinch. She's a dirty boxer. Uh, can land some good shots. She isn't a strong wrestler, and that's probably the worst part of her game for someone who wants to get the fight to the ground. Uh, she's not a powerful wrestler. Uh, she struggles a lot of times. She'll shoot without a setup. But what she does get to the ground, she and and she actually has some creative ways. She'll pull guard. She'll throw an m and m- She'll do anything else. But when she gets to the ground, I mean, she's really good. I mean, she's a five-time world champion. She's incredibly flexible. She can catch a sub anywhere. Uh, arm bars have kind of become a little bit of a specialty, kind of like a Ronda Rousey thing. Uh, but she's got great flexibility, some slick back takes. Um, that that's kind of her thing. Oliveira. Now, is a kickboxer. She's long and lengthy. Good volume. Uh, bit of an out kickboxer, outside kickboxer. Uh, I'd say her hands are okay. I like when she comes inside that she changes up to elbows, uh, slicing elbows. Uh, but kicks are – that's her bread and butter. Really big kicking game. Calf kicks are probably her strongest weapon, though she'll also – you know, throw kicks to the head, throw kicks to the body. Uh, she will throw sometimes throw some naked kicks with a chin high, and she's got to get blasted for that. She also makes other defensive holes. She backs straight up. She I've seen her back, shout out to the cage, which is, would not be a good idea going against someone like Demopolis. Uh, I do like her clinch game, though. Uh, because she's longer and bigger, she gets really good um, angles from her size. She, Like I mentioned, she will wrestle a little bit. But she definitely needs to improve her top control. She's not a submission threat. She has, I think, over 12 victories, she has one submission. Uh, Oliver should have the edge on her feet, basically due to her size advantage. But I, she's no threat on the ground to Demopolis. I, I see Demopolis might struggle to get it there right, eventually, you know, right away, but eventually I think she gets the fight to the ground. I think she locks in a submission and gives me Demopolis to keep uh, Winning streak going, and I see she gets a first-round submission.
0: Yeah, I, I I I made a mistake in assessing Demopolis I think on her way up like her appearance on the uh contender series, her you know, her fights in LFA. Of course, you know, she got on the radar in the first place for that uh submission of the year candidate two years ago, where she got Sam Hughes in that inverted yeah. triangle choke. Yeah.
1: Uh, I, I, just, I just just when I took it out of my notes, because I'm like, I want to stop mentioning that. Ben adds it in there.
0: I, I added in there. Like, uh, we have to we have to advance our narrative on Demopolis just one step at a time. So tonight, it's no stripper jokes. Her next fight, we'll stop talking about the inverted triangle choke. We'll, we're just going to move ahead like kind of six months at a time. Uh, yeah. But because of of her grappling plaudits and because of her build, because she is, I mean, she's short, stocky and just built like a tank. I think I assumed she was a better takedown artist than she is. And in fact, there's someone else we're going to talk about later on this card that I've had to come to the same realization about. But in, in her case, yeah, like for someone who looks like she should be able to shoot just like a Michael Chandler, like bowling ball double leg through a, a woman's hips she really can't and she ends up doing very jujitsu ways to get the fight to the ground you know trips standing back takes pulling guard um but i i just feel as though even though olivera like has a, a bunch of knockout and tko wins they are typically from an accumulation of damage she I mean, she she doesn't really one-shot people, which, I mean, almost nobody at at uh, Strawweight does. I think it could take Demopolis a while before she's able to start getting this to the ground, but I, I don't think she'll be taking so much damage in the meantime that she's going to get finished or is going to be hopelessly behind by the time she does. Uh, I'm with you here. I'm leaning with the slight underdog in Demopolis. I don't know if it'll be a first-round thing. I could see her having just real trouble navigating the reach uh, of Oliveira, You know for that first round maybe gets jabbed up a little bit eats oh we'll see how much kicking Oliveira does against someone that she knows really really probably wants to bring her to the ground but i'm gonna say in the second round she does start getting this thing to the ground and once it's there i I think the first time demopolis gets her down i i i think the 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 round is certainly over and the fight might be give me demopolis by second round submission here uh i'd feel more comfortable about this pick, if I thought Demopolis could do the kind of job on Oliveira that Tabitha Ricci did, where Tabitha Ricci like, is explosive and willing to wrestle and just basically ragdolled Oliveira for you know much of their fight, that isn't Demopolis, but I do think she's going to find a way to get this fight to the ground in the middle round, and from there it's it's going to be academic. Uh, Vanessa Demopolis, second round submission. We head now to the men's bantamweight division for a matchup between Ricky Tercios and Kevin Natividad. Tercios, the 29-year-old Houstonian, is 11-3 and overall. He is 1-1 one one since joining the UFC as a veteran of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series, where he lost, but then he competed on Tough 29. He won that, defeating uh, He Stand in the final. And uh, since then, he has fought once more at UFC on ESPN, Dos Anjos versus Fazeev in July, where he dropped a unanimous decision to Amon Zahabi. He will look to get things back on track against Natividad. The 29-year-old Arizonan is 9-3 and overall. He is 0-2 since joining the UFC as a standout from Legacy Fighting Alliance. He has been uh, knocked out in both of his UFC appearances. His first back on the October card in 2020, he got knocked out in the third round by Miles Johns, who appears further up this card, and came back this April at UFC 261, where he got knocked out in just 50 seconds by uh, Dana Bhattgary. He is uh, potentially fighting for his job here, certainly fighting for any remaining shine as a Bantamweight prospect, and he is the underdog. Tercios is minus 150 right now, The Natividad plus 130. Uh, I alluded to it earlier when talking about he stand, there are Texas fighters, there are Houston fighters, and then there are guys that I just actually know and like, I like Ricky Tercios. It's, it's impossible not to like him. I think if you meet him up up close and personal, like it, it comes off of him. Anytime you see him on, on the mic, he's just this super effusive, joyful guy. And for what it's worth, it is 100% 100% genuine and unfeigned. There's no switch that turns off and on with, with Tercios. I mean, I've, I've interviewed Tercios after Fury Fighting Championship events where he was at kind of a downturn in his career. And after getting just relatively meaningless wins in the grand scheme of things, just he's just bubbling like he just won the Super Bowl and he's telling you he's going to Disneyland. Yeah, impossible not to like the guy. He's a guy with if I'm being honest, is, um, I mean, he's, he's a marginal UFC talent. He, he has some things he does well. He's pretty athletic. He has good individual component skills. Doesn't always put them together for the best possible performances. Like his fight IQ isn't what it could be. And that's kind of surprising for a guy that basically lives at Gracie Baja Woodlands with, uh, Alex Morono, and then splits his camps at team alpha male. Like he's under good tutelage, but you know in the regionals and on his way up like i say he's he's a wild man he wants to get in a brawl which as kind of a lanky low power high volume striker it makes for fun fights but it, not always to his best advantage he's a good scramble heavy grappler who could probably be more dangerous if he were more positionally sound but he just wants to do wild stuff and you know go for flying back takes and and, and stuff I became a little more concerned about him. I figured he'd slot in as just, you know, he might never be a top 15 guy, might never fight for a title, but would just settle in as a good mid-card Bantamweight in in the UFC and probably rack up 10 or 12 uh, fights. But the Ayman Zahabi fight was such a problem for me. Like Zahabi coming back from, I think a year and a half off, Zahabi himself, not a great fighter. And he and Tercios, like, Not only did Tercios lose, and I thought he rightfully lost, but it was an absolutely miserable fight to watch. Like they were both hesitant and gun shy. They were both missing strikes just by being too far away from each other. It was like watching Chukagan shadow shadowbox a mirror, you know, just two people swinging from way too far away and not actually hitting anything. Someone had to win. That's concerning. Chukagan
1: and Holly Holm fought each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, give me earplugs. Uh, It'd be
1: like uh, you play a video game. And you like ch- try to learn. You're like, "Hey, let's not hit each other. Let's like learn." You're, you're both like different corners, like throwing yeah. kicks and punches. <laughs> uh,
0: having said that, Natividad is, I think, even lower level. Uh, you know, just there's there's not much he does at a, a UFC level. Like he's a serviceable wrestler, but I think it's a, a little overstated. I think he gets just the assumed stamp of guy coming from arizona combat sports must be a good wrestler he's uh, a serviceable boxer with some power but as has been shown in his two ufc fights he is defensively porous and prone to getting caught and starched now tercios doesn't have anywhere near the power of miles johns or or dana batkari but if he's able to hit natividad cleanly to the head a bunch of times it's going to be at least enough to win rounds and uh I don't have any faith that Natividad is going to be able to take Tercios down and get him in any kind of trouble there. Tercios is going to be bigger. Uh, He's the kind of fighter that doesn't like to play jiu-jitsu off his back. He does like to scramble and refuse to concede the takedown. I think this is just kind of a nightmarish fight for Natividad. Uh, I think the line is about right here because, you know, to to quote uh you know, my my co-host Keith here. Ricky Tercios shouldn't be a minus 300 favorite over anybody in the UFC, but minus 150 over Kevin Natividad sounds about right to me. Uh, Gimme Tercios by decision in a fun fight. Please let it at least be a fun fight this time, uh, but nothing that even scares up any uh, fight of the night talk.
1: Yeah, I, I think it was really good, especially on, on Turkey. I was like, who knows with this dude? I mean, you talk about his last fight not being fun. Like, he did more, like, clapping and stomping his feet and screaming than landing strikes. It was, it was just a really, really weird fight, uh, which is weird because in the past, he's kind of been a pressure, volume-striking kind of guy. Like, his output was never the problem. Uh, he's always been unorthodox, you said, based on his fighting style and his personality. He's, 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 a, he's a character, that's for sure. Uh, herky-jerky kind of style, constantly switching stances. Uh, he, he will kind of have like a hold your ground when he's being pressured by his opponent's style. Uh, opponents have a hard time picking up his, his timing due to all the crazy stuff that he does. Um, he does a lot of up and down feints, which you don't see in MMA as much as, as I think we should, especially for someone who wants to get takedowns and really sets up your strikes. Uh, fa- I say he has fast hands. I like that he throws with combinations. Uh, his check right hook from the southpaw stance is probably his best strike. Uh, he blends punches and kicks together really well. Uh, I love that, like, well, yeah, he, he likes to throw it out in the pocket in brawl, which shows his, his toughness, even though he's a guy who doesn't have power. But he can take a beating. Like, you go back to, like, the Dan Argetta fight. Like, he he ate some big shots from Argetta and just kept coming. Uh, as you mentioned, I think he's an underrated wrestler. He can shoot through your hips. Uh, he does have, like, a Michael Chiesa reaching style. Uh, he, ha- he has a weaker takedown defense. He was taken down multiple times on the Ultimate Fighter Show. Uh, but he's, he's a submission threat. He can get subs off his back. Uh, I like that he's actively tossing up submission hacks, changing from one sub to another. Uh, and I also like that he, he can use a submission to give himself uh, space to get up and get off the back. Like he, he's not a guy who plays too much jiu-jitsu. His best strength is his cardio, and cardio is kind of like a tool for him. That's why he really needs to up the pace, because that's what that his output is what brings everything together for him. And that last fight um, was just so weird. Now, to dad, Um I'm a little higher on him than you are, I'd say, but I'm not going to say I'm higher on him. I, he's got some things. He's very physically strong. He's a big band on weight. Uh, that's kind of what he has going for him. He's, he's a bit of a wild man on the feet. He wants to sit on the pocket. So we could have some really wild exchanges if they both stand in the pocket and throw some heat. Uh, he wants to be the one pressing the action instead of being pushing back, which I really think is the key for um, Tercios is kind of forcing him back. I'd say he has plus power. Uh, he does sit on his punches, but it leaves him open to calf kicks. And He does throw some hard kicks himself when given that, he, he's, hes I wouldn't say he's a grappler You mentioned that about his wrestling I, I don't think he's that great a wrestler uh, More of a clinch grappler He'll get in there and upper body locks Some inside trips uh, he, he, I like that if he gets on top He does look to advance position He kind of goes to certain submissions He likes to head and arm triangle Typical wrestling type moves uh, I saw him hit some Kimuras So that's another one of his go-to uh, I think it's actually a pretty even matchup uh, I say Tercio's stock really plummeted after his last fight, but I'm with you. I'm picking him. Uh, because of Natividad's style, it, it, it is hard to kind of match, like, sorry, let me back. Because of how Natividad fights, he really throws, like, hard power shots. It's going to be hard for him to match Tercio's output. Uh, plus Tercios is the better wrestler. I think he can get a takedown and two to kind of win the wrestling exchanges. I can see him catching submission. And I'm gonna see I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that. I see he catches a submission, I'll say he does it uh late in the fight, I'll say he does it in third round.
0: There we go. Two picks for uh Ricky Tercios to get back on track at one thirty five. Next up, the third of three men's Bantamweight matchups on the undercard of UFC Vegas 65. This time it is Vince Morales versus Miles Johns. Morales, the 32-year-old Idaho native by way of Las Vegas, is 11-6 and six overall. He is 3-4 and four since joining the UFC as a veteran of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series, where he lost but ended up subsequently signed anyway. Uh, he was last in the octagon in may at ufc fight night home versus Vieira, where he dropped a unanimous decision to jonathan martinez prior to that he had won two in a row over draco rodriguez and louis smolka he will try to get back in the w column against johns the 28 year old kansas native by way of dallas fort worth is 12 and 2 overall He is three and two in the UFC since joining as a veteran of the third season of the Contender Series. He also lost his last time out. It was an arm triangle choke submission, actually technical submission, at the hands of John Castaneda. That was back in February at UFC Fight Night Hermanson versus Strickland. Uh, John's... Clearly chose to to go to sleep, go out, uh, you know, go go. Betty buys. Prior to that, he had won two in a row over Kevin Natividad and Anderson dos Santos. So uh, two uh, prospect weights looking to get back in the W column. Johns is the slight favorite to do so. He's minus one forty. Morales plus one twenty on the comeback. Uh, Keith, Vince Morales, Miles Johns guys that are hovering right around 500 in the UFC's yeah. toughest division. My gut feeling says both of them are probably a little better than their record. But then at the same time, in this division now, you're you are your record. You're you're that's right. Like there there is no I'm better than my record. You are what your record is, and it's just an unfor, unforgiving landscape. Who gets who who gets a, a little bit of redemption here?
1: Yeah, I think both guys are going to be really desperate to get a win. Uh, it could be. Cutlass for the loser there. Uh, Morales, he's a high output striker, a uh, bit of a pressure counter striker. He likes to slip and rip uh, on the counters. Uh, I see he's pretty accurate, and he's got some some decent pop in his hands. Uh, I said this before. I like he has a killer instinct. If he hurts his opponent, he really swarms in um, and tries to finish. him. one of the biggest issues he's had so far in the UFC is checking leg kicks. Uh, Jonathan Martinez like murdered him with leg kicks in their fight again. That loss has aged really well, so we will say that. Uh, I like that he he looks for takedowns, uh, even though he's not a wrestler. Good good entries. weak takedown defense overall. Um, he he has two submission wins, but he also has two like two losses that come by way of submission. So um, to me, nothing really jumps out of your Morales. Now, Miles Johns, he's he's a short, compact wrestle boxer. A lot of feints, works behind a jab, which he follows that up. He follows the jab up with hard hugs, hard uppercuts. Uh, he tends to load up on everything. He really looks like a guy who's trying to get that highlight walk-off KO, uh, which he actually has some, but that's like he, it seems like lately he's going to that more and more. And he, he does have the power, but he can overthrow his shots because of that. And be, and because he's loading up, it leaves him to be countered. It leaves him to be taken down by lesser wrestlers than – you know, less, lesser credentialed wrestlers than he is. Uh, and he, he struggled with guys uh, picking up their timing and movement. now Mar- another guy who lost to Mario Batista. Batista uh, his movement really, he struggled with that. Because you're loading up, you're trying to land to a spot, it's hard to get that. Um, again, that, that loss is each well. Uh, he has some hard leg kicks, but he doesn't check leg kicks. He's a good wrestler with really fast entries, Good winning scrambles. But my issue is he has completely abandoned his wrestling. He hasn't got a takedown in four fights uh, for a guy that that was his go-to. And then the striking was the compliment to the wrestling game. I really think he needs to go back. And uh, if It might be that he's lost it for good. Uh, it might be too high for him at this point to kind of do late in the fights. Um, the strength about his wrestling was he was really physically strong. He grabbed a leg and you're going flying. Good ground and pounding on top. Uh, I don't like that he, he – he likes to attack the head when he's getting taken down. He likes to go to guillotines and shocks, which which is fun if you get it, but it puts you on your back. Um, I've seen him lose positions to weaker wrestlers. Uh, he gives up his back when he gets back to his feet. And he was subbed in his last fight in a fight that, besides he had smashed he looked terrible the entire fight. So uh, everyone who's watched this show for a while knows that wrestle boxers are my weakness. I'm I, what, Not that I, I only fought once, but... I would have been categorized as a wrestle boxer type. Uh, I hate that Johnson's advantage of wrestling. He's also taking this fight on on short notice, which is concerning, especially if I want him to go back to wrestling. Will he wrestle if he doesn't have that cardio? But I'm picking him. I'm picking him for this last time. If, if if he doesn't wrestle and he loses to Vince Morales, I'm probably not picking him again. <laughs> um, he has the power advantage on the feet, and he has that wrestling card. I think he can mix the two up. Give me John's by decision.
0: Yeah, I, I love a lot of the things you pointed out about these guys, and especially about Johns, the negative as well as the positive. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Like, I, I enjoy uh, uh, wrestle boxers as well. Same, same as you, you know, I came to MMA in the first place because I loved amateur wrestling, and when some of my favorite wrestlers started crossing over to this cage fighting thing, I wanted to see. And sometimes it was great, you know? sometimes the results were not so great you know i uh you know i i was we've talked about this before i, I was there when i saw i saw townsend saunders win his uh his ncaa title then yeah, i also saw nice. his his uf uh, or his uh you know his mma run and it wasn't great stuff like no. but you're only a wrestle boxer if you keep wrestling enough to keep the threat of that there. That's right. Like the 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 classic wrestler overhand right fastball only works if your opponent is constantly dropping his guard because he thinks you're gonna shoot in on his hips. That's right. Like, like you know, Randleman didn't knock out Krokop with like one punch because he was a better striker. It's because Krokop was expecting him to shoot and That's instead he gets clocked. And you're right, like Johns has abandoned that and Every wrestler gets strikeritis eventually, but 28, or I mean 25 when it happened, is awful young for that to happen. Man. And I know that his wrestling career was derailed by injuries, but his MMA career early on, he was perfectly willing to wrestle. And you classify his wrestling perfectly, like blinding fast shot from the outside, and then the kind of strength to finish takedowns that normally aren't in good position to finish. Like, he's not at either of their their level, but would do stuff that reminds me of like Michael Chandler or UL Romero where, okay, this isn't such a great, like, I didn't get a great single here, but I'm just going to turn it into a high crotch and throw you over my shoulder. Like just that kind of thing, you know? Uh, If, if there were ever a fight for him to re-embrace as wrestler, this is it because you mentioned Jonathan Martinez cut Vince Morales to pieces with leg kicks. He also got an easy takedown on him. Like, Jonathan Martinez is not known as a lights-out wrestler. He's not known as any kind of wrestler. He's known as, you know, a a kick-heavy kickboxer, and he shot, you know, a gorgeous takedown on Vince Morales and basically just snuffed out the rest of that round. Uh, If Jonathan Martinez can do that to Morales, Johns absolutely can. I think even if the, the, the bad Miles Johns shows up, he can probably beat Morales as long as he isn't just as flat as he looked against Casaneda. But assuming that was just a one-off bad performance, if he's the guy that just sort of clocked Natividad and Dos Santos, I think that guy beats Morales. But I think if he's willing to come out and wrestle or at least wrestle in the first round so that Morales has it in the back of his mind for the rest of the fight, he can win and he can win more definitively, and he can win with less risk to himself. Uh, I don't know which of those things happens, but those are, you know, both scenarios that end up with Miles Johns getting his hand raised at the end. I'm going to say Johns comes out, doesn't wrestle as much as as we would like, maybe wrestles not at all, but still gets the, uh, the better of a striking battle on the feet. If he wrestles, that'll be a pleasant surprise. And that will make me think a little more about his future in the division. But for the time being, at least he keeps his job on Saturday. Give me Johns by decision. Next up at UFC Fight Night 215, we have a women's flyweight matchup between Jennifer Maya and Marina Morose. Now, before I dig into this uh, intriguing undercard matchup, just prior to this segment, Keith and I took a quick uh, break. When we returned to our seats, I saw you sit back down in your chair. Does your shirt say world's greatest farter on it?
1: yeah sorry it's my sweatshirt I was getting hot yeah that's what my uh, my kids think they're funny
0: <laughs> it, so it says world's greatest farter and then it's crossed out and it says father yeah, underneath yeah yeah <laughs> that's, that's awesome dude <laughs> your, your, your kids rule all right maybe um, trying to be gonna... professional
1: I wear a sweatshirt I forgot I took it off when I got up
0: <laughs> <laughs> with that important detail out of the way <clears throat> Maya the 34 year old uh Northwest Brazilian, sorry, Northeast Brazilian, is 19, nine and one overall. She is four and five in the UFC and she is on a two fight losing streak. Both of those being unanimous decision losses this year. Uh, she dropped a decision to Caitlin Chikagian back in January at UFC on ESPN, Cater versus Chikadze Then a unanimous decision once again to Manon Fior at UFC on ESPN, Blades versus Dawkus in March. She is back in the cage for the first time in eight months. And waiting for her is Moroz. The 31-year-old Ukrainian is 11-3 overall. She is 6-3 and three in the UFC. Uh, she's on a three-fight winning streak, but that's a little deceptive to say, because those three wins are spaced out across almost four full years. Uh, she beat Sabina Mazo all the way back in March of 2019, came back in March of 2020, and beat Mayira Bueno Silva. Uh, fought this March at UFC 272, where she uh, choked out Maria Agapova in the second round. So a a very protracted win streak for for the, the Iron Lady. She is looking to make it four in a row, and she is actually a moderate favorite to do so. She's minus 175. Maya plus one fifty, and Keith. I think this line is absolutely bananas. Uh, this, yeah. I, I mean, I understand. Again, I understand the bookmakers aren't the ones who make the lines. Well, I mean, they set the lines, but they don't pull them out of their ass. They set them in reaction to what the betters are, are doing. But uh, this, I have to say, this is this has to be the work of somebody that does not take strength of schedule into account. Jennifer Maya is four and five in the UFC. But her losses in the UFC are to Liz Carmouche, a pound for pound top 10 woman, Caitlin Chukagian twice, a, you know, the clear number two in the division, Valentina Shevchenko, and Manon Fior, who will probably fight for a title next year. That's it. She's beaten everybody else, and some of them are good fighters. She beat yeah. Jessica I. She beat Alexis Davis. She beat Joanne Wood and Roxanne Modafferi. Like, both of which were were better wins at the time than it sounds like now. Like, there's a pretty clear dividing line. Jennifer Maya loses to the very best fighters in the world. She beats everybody else. And it's all decisions. Like, she's now got nine straight decisions in the UFC. I think she catches Chikagian, you know, what? Chikagian's record is that, like, you know, she has I think ten or eleven uh, her first ten or eleven wins in the UFC were all by decision. Like Maya is is heading on a record breaking streak <laughs> of all of her fights going to decision. That's the record but, you want. Yeah, but the I mean the women who have beaten Maya, aside from being again the, the best fighters in the world, have tended to be women that are much better at Maya than Maya at, at one thing or another. Morose is not that and. Yeah, Marosa's record in the UFC on paper looks better, but she's simply just never beaten a a really good. She's never beaten a really good uh, UFC flyweight. Mayra Bueno Silva is probably the best, the the closest she's gotten to that. Uh, She. She was big when she fought at strawweight, like, you know, just long, lanky, just kind of Mm -hmm. seemed impossibly big for uh, strawweight. She's still a pretty good size flyweight. She's physically strong. Uh, and you know, that translates into good grappling. Like she absolutely ran over people like, you know, Joanne Wood, uh, Sabina Maso, who just, you know, didn't have the physical strength to handle her on, on the ground. But Maya is far more well-rounded. I think Maya is a better striker. Uh, Moroz, despite being, you know, big and having good reach, I think she's kind of susceptible on the feet. She's not very fast. Uh, like Moreau's like she is a bit of a specialist and her specialty she's not i don't think she's better than maya at all really and if if she is it's not like better on the level of okay yeah like liz Carmouche is overpoweringly physical and and a good wrestler and maya can't handle that or chukagian just is too good of an out striker and just mesmerizes everybody and and maya can't like unhypnotize herself like morose has none of that i don't get why she's the favorite except that she's on a three fight win streak and maya is on a two fight losing streak but the strength of schedule could not possibly be more different i think maya gets a bounce back here she gets back to 500 in the ufc and she reminds us that while chukagian has been the gateway to the title shot maya might as well be the gateway to the top 10. if you're a top 10 fighter you might be able to beat her if you're not you're just there's no way you're getting past her give me a maya by decision and for the complexion of the fight my guess would be that maya uh chooses to keep this on the feet Moroz can't get it to the ground and, and maya kind of pieces her up on the feet i think she's a harder hitter and even though Moroz is probably going to have better reach i don't think she's going to be able to keep maya off offer
1: you know what so i don't do this often but just for the sake of time i agree with everything you're saying so put me down for put me down for my my decision like i don't need to read the same stuff that Everything you said, I agree with. That's the nicest
0: thing anybody said to me all day. Like, you know, anybody who watches (laughs) our show knows that the Keith is by far more the X's and O's guy, and I'm teeing it up, and it's why I make him go first on about two thirds of these fights. But
1: (laughs) both these women have a lot Yeah, I, I agree. This is the
0: tenth fight for both of these women in the UFC. I've I've previewed at least, you know, four Jennifer Maya fights. Like these women are what they are, and Maya's a better fighter.
1: Yeah, I would say the I would say this. Um, if you told me to guess who the favorite was, I was get I would have guessed my like two to one favorite to be an underdog and I looked at the lines. She started at like plus one thirty five and it's opening how much of it. She's becoming a bigger underdog. Uh yeah, again, I don't I don't see it. I, I get I know I that Maros is a really underrated grappler. Um she's a bit of a volume striker on the feet, but my hits harder she gets in the pocket I like how like she had a competitive battle recently against Manon Fero. Like she lost it but it was competitive um yeah I'm with you give me my she
0: arguably took a round off Valentina Shevchenko
1: yeah yeah give me my yeah
0: we head now to the men's flyweight division for a matchup between Charles Johnson and Jagas Yumagulov. Johnson, the 31-year-old Missouri native, is 11-3 and overall. He is 0-1 since joining the UFC as a former LFA flyweight champ. Got kind of a, a hard beat. I mean, he was signed, immediately thrown into a matchup with super prospect Mohamed Mukayev, where he acquitted himself fairly well in a unanimous decision loss that was at ufc fight night blades versus aspinall the uh, second ufc london card this year uh so even more of a setup since mokay is very much an adoptive son of the uk uh he now gets uh, his his payback for doing the ufc a solid in the form of the struggling jumagulov the 34 year old kazakhstani is 14 and 7 overall he is one and four in the UFC since joining as a former Fight Night's global flyweight champ. He has dropped fights to piva Amir al-Bazi, Manel Kopp, and Jeff Molina. Those four losses sandwiched around a first-round submission win over Jerome Rivera last uh, July. So he's on a two-fight losing streak right now. He's lost four or five. He is quite possibly fighting for his continued employment, and he is a slight underdog. He's a uh, minus... Or sorry, he's plus 135. Johnson minus 155. Uh Keith, uh, you and I both, me probably even a little more, have continued to beat the drum that Jamogulov is better than his his record. But at even at flyweight, at some point you you are what your record is. And He's lost to just nothing but good fighters. and Paiva, good fighter. Amir Albazi good fighter. Manel Kopp. And then Jeff Molina, who was the least, kind of the least hyped of them, but all of a sudden Jeff Molina's three and 0 in the UFC flyweight division, and he's creeping up on the rankings too. Just, he's, he's gotten no kind of break. Is Johnson enough of a break for him to get back in the W column, or does this just end up being one absolutely
1: miserable run for the guy? Yeah. Uh, it- it's just flyweight in general. Like, there's there's no easy fight at flyweight. I mean, like the worst the worst guy on the flyweight roster is still really talented. It's just it's just a great division. Um, not the deepest division. Like that's why it's not in the discussion. Uh, but the talent level is is incredible. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll say this about Zemalov. Um, he he does everything fairly well. Like, he's a southpaw who's high output. He's a pressure striker. He can go hard for all 15 minutes. He throws a lot of combos. Uh, the very like Fedor style, where he he throws a lot of looping hooks. Uh, his left hook is his money shot. He, he's not the hardest hitter though, uh, which I mean that's something that something has to do with just being a flyweight. Uh, but he can he can grind. He can get in the clinch. He likes to grind. Use uh, you know get inside. Not a great wrestler, but he he'll somehow get away. Get some takedowns, and he's got some really really good cardio. Uh, John, Johnson Johnson is another guy that I was excited to have him coming in. He's a kickboxer. He can find out both stances. Really elusive, constantly moving. Pretty good footwork. Uh, he's hard to hit because he, he he's got some good head movement. He and he also like rolls with his punches, which I again never really looks great to the judges, but it's just hard to hit, land clean. Uh, he doesn't like being pressured though. He's got good volume. Uh, not a big like big puncher. Not a big like power puncher. But he just touches. In scores points, large kicking game. He loves his teeth. kicks, uh, though he does so often throw them naked. Uh, he also likes stepping knees, which you, you know I love that. Not a great wrestler, but he'll like he'll catch a kick or, or something to try to get the fight to the ground. Good grind and pound. Uh, he has three submission wins. Weak defensive wrestler, uh, but from what I've seen, he does a good job to get back to his feet and, and good cardio. We've seen him fight five rounds in the LFA and stuff, so he can go hard. Uh, it, this this should be a really good fight. Um, I'm I'm I guess I'm going the underdog again. Uh, I'm leaning uh, uh, Zumagulov. Uh I think he can force Johnson back on his uh, on his back foot, force him out of his comfort zone. I think he actually might get his takedown to himself, might some with some grinding affair. Uh, I think it's gonna be really uh, competitive, but I'm gonna say some and I'll say what he wins by unanimous decision.
0: Yeah, I I I like this matchup. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't like it if uh, this is Jabagolov just washing out of the UFC at one and five uh, and this was like his last chance to get a win. But I mean, you got to beat the people who were put in front of you at some point. Uh, Johnson, like like you, I mean, we both said this on the preview for UFC London that it's a rough matchup to step in against Mohamed Mukhaev in England for your debut, but he's a guy that probably should have been signed to the UFC or at least come through the Contender Series this year anyway. Uh, I I did like a lot of what I saw from him, even though he lost an easy 30 to 27 to Mikhaev, Uh As you pointed out, like Mokaev took him down repeatedly, but he had to take him down repeatedly because Johnson kept getting back up. He just, uh, he denied Mokaev Uh, mount and back mount repeatedly and got back up over and over again even as he was getting some like gnarly mat returns like he got you know he got slammed he got suplexed and just kept getting up and I mean the third round might have been the most competitive round and it might have been just that Mokai got tired of taking the guy down 20 times um here like that same Charles Johnson, I think actually matches up pretty well against uh, Jumagolov. He's gonna have a huge reach advantage. Uh, If he feels confident enough to unleash his full kicking game, either because he doesn't think Jumagolov can take him down as easily as Mikhaev did, or he just trusts himself to get back up or create good situations for himself on the ground, I think that works in his favor. Uh, Jumagolov is definitely gonna come forward. He's definitely gonna put him on his back foot. Uh, we'll see how well he does there, but you know, Jamogolov doesn't really have a fight changing one shot power. I think this is going to be an uncomfortable fight for Johnson, but I think he's going to do enough to win two rounds out of three here. He's going to deny enough takedowns. He's going to score enough, uh, from outside and just kind of frustrate Jamagalov. And it's just going to be, uh, one more just miserable outing for the former fight night's global champ. Give me Johnson by decision here. We head now to the welterweight division for a matchup between Jack Della Maddalena and Danny Roberts. Della Maddalena, the 26-year-old Australian, is 12-2 overall. He is 2-0 since joining the UFC out of uh, last year's Dana White's Contender Series. He debuted this January at UFC 270, knocking out Pete Rodriguez in the first round. Uh, came back in June at UFC 275 and knocked out Ramazan Ameyev in the first round. So he is 2-0 with just barely one round's worth of work. Uh, he'll look to keep the hot streak going at the expense of Roberts. The 35-year-old Brit who goes by Hot Chocolate is 18-6 overall. He is 7-5 and in the UFC. He lost his last time out. It was a unanimous decision. Uh, to Francisco Trinaldo at UFC 274 in May. Prior to that, he had been riding back-to-back wins over Zalim Imadaev, and Ramazan So he's looking to get back on track. He is not favored to do so. In fact, I believe Roberts is the biggest underdog on the card. Uh, Della, Madal- Della Madalena is minus 450, Roberts plus 360. Uh, Keith, I'm gonna toss this one to you, but does it feel to me like he just woke up one day and danny roberts was suddenly 35 he was young when he got to the ufc but just fighting basically once a year yeah just he's never built any never built any momentum in a super deep division
1: yeah just a guy guy. now
0: now he's a setup guy for the new guy the young guy the the hot prospect uh you know tell me how you think this fight goes yeah i I have a guess but
1: yeah roberts is a guy he wins one fight loses one fight that i mean that's pretty much sums up his his ufc career just kind of a middle of the pack kind of guy uh he's a big guy and he he needs a test because he has skills uh he can fight out both stances pretty good footwork pretty elusive Uh, he doesn't like to be pressured he he wants to be the kind of want to be in the center of working working from a distance quick hands nice nice snap on his shots uh though he'll kind of overthrow his left hand a little bit um he keeps his hands low, which which helps him because he lands from different angles, uh, and he has good power. But if he actually had better technique, he'd have even more power. Uh, he does throw hard kicks to the body, especially when he's in the orthodox stance, which I like. But defensively, he pillars, which I, I've never been a fan of. I, I, I definitely not in the MMA. Uh, his best work, like he either wants to be all the way out or all the way in. He gets inside. He's he's a big guy. He can grind in there. Uh, he can wrestle a little bit. He, he must improve his, his control, his, his top game. He also needs to improve his takedown defense as he's been taken down. And uh, he doesn't like to be on his back. He's been held down before. Move over to Jack uh, Madalena, a guy that a lot of people are really high on. A uh, really, really good boxer. Can fight out of both stances. He He's a builder. We've seen that. He's a guy that he really picks up the pace as the fight goes on. Uh, Short, tight shots. Not a lot of tells. Very accurate, elusive. Good footwork. I love that when he attacks, he cuts angles on his attacks. I like that he works the body. Understands how important that is. Uh, when he gets in close, he starts throwing uh, slicing elbows, like, like John Jones style. Good power, which is—I mean, he's got nine knockouts. But what's really interesting about that is he's so young. He's not even in his power years yet. So who knows what kind of knockout power he can have? Uh, he is open to Lakers because he's he's heavy on his front foot. Like that's one of the negatives. Uh, but he's got a judo background, so he's getting clinched, getting close to them. Uh, he can uh, trip, throw. Uh, he will shoot for takedowns. Uh, he he will shoot without setting up, which is which is a little bit of an issue. But he's really good at winning scrambles. Uh, really funk style wrestler. When we've seen him taken down, he'll go to like a Grammy roll to get out, which is. Um, good IQ also you know you need a lot of athleticism on that Uh, and and generally it's hard to take him down anyways so um, Roberts I really don't know where he wins this fight like does he want to get in the clinch of Madalena maybe like that's probably his best bet Uh, I don't think he wants to stand on the outside I mean I guess he could throw some kicks and try to try to be in the kicking range with with Madalena maybe Um, but I, I think this is a mismatch I think Madalena pieces him up on the feet uh i think he overwhelms him as he gets stronger i think rump is going to fade i i think Madalena puts makes a statement give me madelina by third round tko
0: i'm i'm with you here and honestly he's a good jack de la is a good testament to the uh power of the zero that you and i have talked about many times because you look at his record he's 12 and 2. he lost his first two fights as a pro he is 12-0 and 0 since then so he's won 12 straight fights he won some good fights in Australia on the way up. He beat a good fighter who's in the UFC now in Angelusa on the Contender Series. And he's absolutely slaughtered the two people he's fought in the UFC. Yet, when we talk about Shemaev and... Rachmanov and Sean Brady, who like, you know, Sean Brady finally took his first L. We never mentioned Jack Della Madalena there because of two meaningless losses at the beginning of his career. The never, never underestimate the power of the zero. But honestly, maybe we should be mentioning him in that same, in that same breath, because it's a similar trajectory where the thing that was really eye popping about especially Shemaev and uh, Rachmanov is that they came to the UFC undefeated and then they just shifted gears seamlessly and started murdering people in the UFC, like just blasting good fighters like, you know, Cowboy Oliveira and uh, Gerald Mearshart just, you know, in, in the first round. Jack De Delamatalan has done similar things. And I'm with you here. Uh, Robert's kind of like we have said about multiple opponents of Shemaev and Rachmanov. He is a logical next test. He is a battle-tested well-rounded ufc veteran who's like big and athletic and at least pretty good everywhere and jack de la madalena i think is gonna run through him with relative ease and it's gonna be one of those moments that makes us go okay maybe this guy needs a top 15 opponent sooner rather than later uh give me jack de la madalena by second round tko and i'm gonna guess it happens on the ground like he either takes Roberts down or hurts him and follows him there and actually has to do some work on the ground. But yeah, Jack Della Maddalena, second round TKO on the ground after probably winning just about every minute of the fight up until then. The UFC Vegas 65 main card powers on with a middleweight matchup between Cody Brundage and Rodolfo Vieira. Brundage, the 28-year-old Michigan native, is 8-2 and two overall. He is 2-1 since joining the UFC as a veteran of the 2020 season of Dana White's contender series, where he lost, but then went back, won a fight in LFA, and was signed to the UFC. He dropped his debut by unanimous decision to Nick Maximov. Since then, he has back-to-back first-round finishes over Dolce Lungiambula and Treeshawn Gore. The most recent of those, the Gore fight, was back in July at UFC on ESPN, Dosanjos versus Faziv. He will look to make it three straight against Vieira, the 33-year-old Brazilian who goes by the Black Belt Hunter, eight and two in his mixed martial arts career, three and two in the UFC. Uh, he has alternated wins and losses over his last couple of fights. Uh, he, you know, f- famously, infamously, was upset by Anthony Hernandez by second-round submission uh, last February at UFC 258. Came back with a third-round. Uh, submission win over Dustin Stoltzfus last July, came back this June at UFC on ESPN Sarukian versus Gamrot and dropped a unanimous decision to Chris Curtis. So he is looking to get back to winning ways. He is the moderate favorite to do so. Vieira is minus 180, Brundage plus 155. Keith, Tadolfo Vieira, one of the greatest grapplers of all time. Like, we don't, we, we try not to throw around the term yeah. world-class you know too easily here that's a MMA cliche but he's literally a multiple time uh world champion Praise one the of the greatest grapplers ever to cross over to MMA any, any in anywhere near his his physical prime having said that he's 33 he still only has 10 MMA fights if he's gonna do anything serious in MMA it's go time is yeah. Brundage the right opponent or is this where the dream kind of dies
1: yeah, it's a, it's an interesting matchup based on the you know their backgrounds and their styles. Um, I'll say this about Adolfo Vera: um, he, his his stand up is getting better. Um, he his stand up looks better and better each fight. He's growing fast, and it, he, he throws a lot of straight shots down the pipe. He has good power. I mean, look at the guy; the guy's absolutely shredded. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. He, he, he lands, be, he lands a lot. Also, and to keep saying this, and we talk about with the wrestlers. He lands because people are worried about the takedowns. Then no one wants to go to the ground with him, and rightfully so. Uh, he does get hit a lot though because he lacks head movement. Uh, he can eat some shots and keep coming. I mean, it's been three or four times now. I mean, Sapporo Safra landing big shots on Anthony Hernandez, landing big shots on Chris Curtis. I mean, Chris Curtis T was starting to tee off him, especially as the fight went deeper and. Um, He's he's an explosive wrestler. He drives through your hips, uh, extremely strong, um, but he's not a technically sound wrestler. He's the guy. He can get takedowns because he's fast. He's got some fast entries, um, but he's a he's a grappler who wrestles. He's not a true wrestler, and and you see that because he kind of has that straight on. He he doesn't cut the corners well. He doesn't chain wrestle together. Uh, it's really why a guy like Chris Curtis was able to. Uh, and Chris Curtis fought just a perfect fight against him. Just yeah. didn't over, didn't overextend. Just to short shots. Never overextended. So he was always ready for the takedowns. Um, as he started fading, that's when he started sitting on his punches more. Started generating power. Just really good, smart performance from Chris Curtis. Um, uh, so he'll shoot without takedown. He won't chain wrestle the other. That's that's a problem. Um, he didn't set anything up. With his striking, that's that's the biggest thing. He needs to set up his striking to, to set up, his, you know, use his striking to set up his entries. Uh, but if he gets you on the ground, I mean, you said it. This guy's elite, uh, elite. We've read his credentials before. We're not gonna read it. I mean, his credentials are off the chart. Uh, he's definitely a top side grappler. That's where he wants to be, where he wants to work. And he, but he can get submissions and in and, uh, transitions and scrambles on the bottom if he has to. But uh, take you back, choke you out, Brunage. Brennan is not a great striker. Uh, he's not a very technically sound striker, but he's a good athlete. It's, it's kind of like the opposite of what I just said. Like, about yeah, Vera's not a technically sound wrestler, but he gets down because he's a great athlete. So it's kind of the same thing with Brunish. Like, He's been landing. Um, he, he, he doesn't do a lot of things technically right. He drops his hands. He throws a lot of haymakers, hand, but he has natural power because of the athlete he is. I mean, we saw that against Treshawn Gore in his last fight. Uh, he's got a good kicking game. He throws kicks everywhere. Uh, he loves his question mark kick. I don't know if he's going to be kicking against a guy like, uh, Hadolfo Vieira, despite having a wrestling background. I don't, I don't I'm not sold on him as a wrestler. I said this last time. I'm going to continue to say it until I see him get someone who, uh, and Hadafu uh, is a guy that can answer this question. Someone who really wants to take him down. And I just want to see him shooting. Uh, he'll shoot without takedowns. I see him get sprawled out on, uh, because he doesn't cut angles. Um, eating shots. I go back to like the Dolce and And then that's fight one, but like trying to get a takedown, he was eating nonstop elbows. Uh, if, if he's on top, he has a strong top game, but defensive wrestling. I mean, we saw Nick Maxwell take him down over and over again, which is was, was really surprising. Um, and even the last fight, despite getting the KO of, of Gore, he was slowing down, um, uh, because of the, you know, there was a lot of big shots. Uh, the question comes down to if Vieira can take down Brunish. I mean, credential-wise, you should say that he shouldn't. Um, I, I think Brunish will make a mistake. We, I think he's a wrestler he might have fallen in love with his, with his power shots. I think he might overextend and maybe Vieira ducks out, I guess, finds a way to get to the ground. Uh, and I think we might get some, some pretty good scrambles when that happens. But I think Vieira eventually is going to catch a submission – uh i think he's back against the wall. he really like you said he needs to go now i think this might be the beginning of it I, i'll say Vera wins by second round submission
0: yeah i i like everything you put down there like as and i alluded to this earlier when i said you know there's another fighter on this card uh kind of like vanessa demopolis where i think i assumed they were a better offensive wrestler than they were just because They looked kind of wrestly and they were, you know, a demonstrably very good grappler. And Rudolfo Vieira is the other one. Because of his training affiliations, because of his general build, because of his uh, credentials in the grappling world, I guess I just assumed he would have a little bit of Jacare Souza to him. Or, you know, Jacare was one of the first of the world-class grapplers to come across and say, yeah, I'm a a high-level Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but... I also understand the principles of, you know, good old American wrestling, and have the necessary athleticism to, to put them to work.
1: I, I always thought, sorry to interrupt you, uh, Ricardo Arona was like a really good example. Like going back a while ago, yeah. he was a really good topside grappler who yes. wrestling was actually more impressive than his submission skills, even though his submission, I mean, his image mean, off the charts, his, his accomplishments, but yeah, similar style, his,
0: similar style, and especially in Pride under the full pride medicine chest was like dude that guy (laughs) yeah that's a good point yeah I mean his dude his his had like the neck of Brock Lesnar Uh, yeah and he was like a 203 pound guy he was unbelievable he was a lot of fun uh
1: sometimes sometimes he's pretty boring uh
0: Vieira I I like how you said like his his wrestling runs on horsepower rather than technique because he will shoot a great double because he's big, he's fast, but where, you know, a, a schooled wrestler, if if the double gets sprawled on, he'll change to a single, he'll try to turn the corner. Vienna doesn't have a second idea. Like if you sprawl on him properly, if it's early enough in the fight, he can just probably just pick you up anyway through brute force and dump you over. But once he's too tired to do that, say, oh, about eight minutes into the fight, he doesn't have another second idea and it ends up looking like the Chris Curtis fight where He was twice Curtis's size and Curtis was defeating his takedown attempts with with increasing ease as the fight went along. By the third round, these were just like desperate flopping takedown attempts and Curtis was like laughing and dancing away and piecing him up. That is a game plan that Brundage probably could follow. He doesn't have the exact Chris Curtis skill set, obviously. He has different physical tools and his takedown defense has proven to be suspect, you know. Like as you pointed out, like against uh, against Maximov, I, I still think it's something he could do to Vieira, but he would only have to make a mistake once if it's in the first half of the fight, and the thing might be over. Uh, Vieira, the one thing he does have is he is just a crushingly heavy topside grappler in MMA it's why all of his submissions in MMA I think are arm triangle chokes which is the definition of crushing someone from topside or their rear naked chokes where somebody turned their back to him because they didn't like him just like mashing his, his like elbow into their throat I just I I actually think Brundage has more upside in the division I think, you know, two years from now, Vieira will be on his way back down. Brundage will just barely be 30 and he might not even have really hit his peak yet. But right now, I don't trust Brundage to put on a perfect Chris Curtis game plan. And I also don't trust Brundage to lose the first round badly and then be the fresher guy in the second and third in the way that that Andrew uh, Sanchez or Anthony Hernandez was. Because, you know, that's that's still a route to victory over Vieira. His gas tank is still suspect. He got tired before Curtis. He finished Stoltz was late just because he dominated him so bad the whole fight. Like, n- none of the things that have proven to work on Adolfo Vieira so far in the UFC are things that I have an easy time picturing Brundage doing. So, I, I'm with you. I'm going with the moderate favorite here. Give me Vieira by, I'm going to say, I'm going to say second round uh, submission you know, Brunage maybe walks the tightrope for the first round. Vieta is still fresh enough in the second to get him down and then uh, it's over pretty quickly from there. The UFC Fight Night 215 main card powers on with a matchup between Andre Fialho and Muslim Salikov. Fialho, the 28 year old from Portugal, is 16 and five with one no contest overall. He is two and two since joining the UFC. Uh, just this year. This will be his fifth fight in 2022. Uh, He dropped his debut to Michelle Pereira, got back-to-back wins over Miguel Baeza and Cameron Van Camp, then got somewhat shockingly knocked out by Jake Matthews in the second round at UFC 275 in June. Uh, He'll look to go over 500 for the year against Salikov. The 38-year-old Dagestani is 18-3 overall. He is 5-2 in the UFC. He lost his debut to Alex Garcia all the way back in 2017. He got knocked out in the second round by Lee Jing Liang this July in at UFC on ABC Ortega versus Rodriguez. And in between, he won five straight over Ricky Rainey, Nordine Taleb, Laureano Staropoli, Eliseo Capoeira, and Francisco Trinaldo. And if some of those names are barely ringing a bell, it's because Trinaldo, I think, is the only one of the five still in the UFC. That is a byproduct of Salikov being not very active. He's basically fought once per year for the last six years and him being kind of the UFC's janitor and helping sweep fighters out the door who are on their way out. Uh, Nonetheless, he is the slightest of favorites here. Salakov 115. Fialio, minus 105. Keith, we talk a lot and I actually mentioned earlier on the show how much you have to do to kind of break through at 170. It does help. If you're an exciting fighter and both of these guys are, uh, this is on the main card for a reason. And if somebody gets a big finish here, you know, they will jump the line to a certain extent in both cases, I think, because of their age. Fialio, because he's so young, and Salikov, because if he's going to make a run, it's got to be now. Uh, You know, when you're 38 and you fight once a year, the, the clock's ticking on you.
1: Yeah. And it's even worse coming off a loss like this. You take a loss in this division, you fall back so far. Yeah.
0: And neither of them were great losses. I mean, Jake Matthews kind of coming back out of nowhere. Not bad. And, Not and
1: what's that? Yeah, I mean neither loss is bad. I know well, neither
0: of them is terrible, but uh, you know, and then Solikov, you know, getting stopped by Lee Li Jing Liang, who yeah. is I mean, he is effectively a gatekeeper to the top ten, so if you got knocked out by him, the gate got kept having said that this is an interesting striking matchup to me because they're, I mean, they're both strikers by preference. They both have uh power. I mean, they both have a yeah. ton of knockouts, but stylistically, they're about as different as you could get. You know, I think of Fialio as a boxer who can kick and has like growing power. I mean, he's still so young. He was super, super young when he first kind of popped up on prospect radar and, mm. you know, had some, some kind of bad, weird losses early. Uh, he's, almost in his second life now as an up and comer. But yeah, I think of him as a very bread and butter boxer who is willing to mix in kicks. And then Salakov is, I mean, it's one thing to call yourself the king of Kung Fu, but it's especially ballsy to call yourself the king of Kung Fu when more than half of your regional career before the UFC took place in China like you're a russian (laughs) dude over in china calling yourself the king of kung fu that is brass balls That's maybe maybe it's the counterweight of his balls that like allows him to do all that spinning stuff even as he pushes 40 (laughs) because that's right i mean there's there's two kind of dagestanis there's the grindy wrestler who is who is sublime if he's a great athlete and can be kind of boring if it if he's that's all he's got and then there's the weird all spinning shit all the time, like Dagestani yeah. strikers. Salikov, to me, is much more of the, uh
1: what's the, the name sh- of the- Shlomenko, like Shlomenko style.
0: Sh- Shl- the Shlomenko, who was the guy that, like, he looked like Abraham Lincoln, the- Zabit Magomed Sharipov. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's Salikov to me, and you'd think the fun would have to come to an end uh, at some point, but even when he doesn't get the finish, he's just willing to keep throwing that stuff and, and catches people with it, but here, I mean, it's 170, it's not 135, but still 38 is old. He's never been yeah. that active a fighter. Uh, the, you know, the sequence that Li Liang finished him with in July is something that I just don't think would have finished him three or four years ago. I, I think his time is kind of eclipsed and, and coming and going. Whereas Fialio is never going to be a perfect fighter. Fialio was like Portuguese Robbie Lawler, where the greatness was never about, it was never about being unbeatable. Cause R- Robbie Lawler has some bad losses at every point in his career and just finally strung together enough wins in a row to like reach the pinnacle of the sport for about six months. And all that did was cement his legend cause he was already everybody's favorite fighter. I'm not saying Fialio is going to reach the same heights, obviously, but he has some of that same energy. Like he's two and two in the UFC right now. And I'm still excited about his upside, even though he's never going to be a perfect fighter. It, He's never going to string enough wins together that people are looking at him like Santiago Ponzinibbio or, uh, you know, Leon Edwards and like, what's this guy need to do to get a title shot? No, if he strings together three good knockouts in a row, the UFC is going to start pushing him. Uh, I think one of them is going to happen this Saturday. Uh, I think Fialio is going to be able to land on Salikov, who even earlier in his career was always kind of hittable. Fialio just has bricks in both hands. Like, he, he doesn't look like a huge guy. He doesn't overswing most of the time. But just, he's got the Dustin Poirier thing where when he lands, you can tell he hits harder than, like, it surprises his opponent how hard he hits. I think he's going to do that to Salikov. He's uh, going to get in some wild exchanges. He's going to get the better of him. Uh Give me Fialio to knock out Salikov in round two here.
1: Yeah, the, this, is a, this is a good, fun fight. It's, it, mm-hmm. that's, I'm glad you said it. it's It's going to be really good. Yeah. Um, i think it's a hard fight to pick uh Fiello is a is a counter striker you mentioned he's a really good technically sound boxer he gives everything in tight uh, his overhand right is 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 money maker his check left hook is really good that was the, the blow that just like obliterated cameron van camp <laughs> like uh he's got good power you mentioned 13 ko's uh he he does pillar which i don't like uh, and, and I'm a little worried about his chin. I mean, he's been knocked out a bunch of times now, uh, uh, and he was knocked down in his last fight. He, I'd say he's an underrated wrestler. Uh, he gets some good entries. He's he's hard to take down, uh, but if you can pin him against the canvas, be based on not coming from that style, he really struggles to get back to his feet. Uh, I'll say this about Salido: he's a really good athlete. He moves well. He's got good movement. Good at slipping his head off the center line and encountering and ripping with his own shots. Uh, really good at picking up his opponent's timing, uh, which is going to be tough as you age because if, you've, if that's the kind of style that you are, um, it's, it's going overnight. And, and that's the question we have to ask with him, being that he's getting older. Uh, but he has some of the best kicks in the game, kicks everywhere. Uh, he checks kicks, which I also like too. Uh, you mentioned he has that like Alexander Slamenko spinning attacks, spinning back fist, spinning uh, kicks, everything. Uh, plus power. He really sits on his punches. I, I go back to like when he starts Nordine Taleb. Uh, but I am worried about his chin. I mean, he's knocked out by Li Jing Liang in his last fight. He's 38 years old. Uh, I, I, he can wrestle, and he actually wrestles a lot. I think he's an underrated wrestler. He's He's got uh, a good reactionary double. I mean, even, even if I would he lost, like Li Jing Liang, he took him down in that fight. Uh, he also catch kicks. Not that I, I expect to get many kicks from Fialo, but uh, that's one way he gets it. But he does need to improve his control on the ground. Uh, I think this is the hardest fight to pick on the entire card. Um, I think both guys can be brilliant at times, uh, but they both also look bad at times, and in, in, including their last fight. Uh, I'm gonna go the other way. I'm gonna go with Salikov, uh, and the reason I'm gonna go with Salikov is I know I know he will wrestle. I think he will be the guy who will wrestle more. Um, Fiello has struggled not stopping takedowns but getting back up so being that that is an option if things are going bad for Fiello uh, obviously uh for salikov against on the feet i like that uh, i think he can win some rounds i think both guys are going to have their moments i wouldn't be surprised if both guys land big shots or rock each other uh but i'm gonna take uh salikov no confidence at all so I'll, I'll go by split decision
0: yeah, I, I agree with you. This is probably the hardest fight on the card for me to pick as well. Uh, so we have a little more dissension here. You can tell probably which one of us was right on Saturday just by whether Greg Jones is angry in between rounds yeah. at Andre Fiallo. Yeah,
1: Greg Jones, what an incredible wrestler he was.
0: Next up at UFC Vegas 65 is a heavyweight matchup between Chase Sherman and Waldo Cortez Acosta. Sherman, the 33-year-old Mississippi native, is 16 and 10 overall. He is four and nine across two stints in the UFC. He's two and four this time around. Uh, got back on track. He snapped a four-fight losing streak with his third round knockout of Jared Vandera back in July at UFC on ESPN Dos Anjos versus Fazev. So got the reprieve, kept his uh, roster spot, looks to make it two in a row. A win streak in the UFC against Cortez Acosta. Uh, The 31-year-old, I want to say he is Panamanian by way of Arizona, is 8-0 in his mixed martial arts career. He is 1-0 since joining the UFC out of uh, Dana White's Contender Series. I mean, he won on the Contender Series in August. He debuted in the UFC with a unanimous decision over Jared Vandera on Halloween weekend, he's coming back on three-week turnaround to take on Sherman, and he is the moderate favorite. He's minus 190, Sherman is plus 160, and this has all been kind of a weird game of musical chairs. Uh, you know, Sherman was supposed to fight on the 5th at UFC Vegas 64. He was supposed to fight. Uh, Josh Parisian withdrew from that fight, so they bumped Sherman to this card, and they brought Cortez Acosta back on, again, very short uh, turnaround. Um, to come back and get his, uh, his his second dose, Keith. If this fight had been Cortez Acosta's first fight in the UFC, and if this had been before Sherman beat uh, beat Vandaera, I might have a very different take on this fight. Because obviously, y- you know me like I am extremely diplomatic and positive in my assessment of fighters, but. I mean, I, I have had a little fun at Chase Sherman's expense just because his UFC run has been so legendarily miserable. Uh, you know, and I picked Vandera to beat him. He beat Vandera, and, you know, his his low-power, high-volume style proved that actually, well, he does, he does rack up enough punishment if you run into his fist for three rounds that he will finish a man. And I had some mild interest in Cortez Acosta coming off of the uh, Contender Series. You know, heavyweight is so bad that just having one good skill and the willingness to leverage that one skill can get you surprisingly far, even at the UFC level at heavyweight. And I watched Cortez Acosta on the Contender Series and I'm like, well, he's huge and he has a pretty good straight jab that he likes to throw, you know, considering the the whole power dynamic at heavyweight. You know, I always like to see a heavyweight who's, like, actually willing to work a jab and use it to manage distance and maybe keep everybody else's, you know, haymakers off him. But even though he beat Vandera, I wasn't terribly impressed. Like, Vandera was, like, kept like really hurting him with leg kicks and... Cortez Costa, like, his, his jab was there, but it wasn't sensational. It's not like he was, like, busting Vandera up with it. He won the fight, but it was one of the less impressive 30-27 performances I can remember. I mean, these guys are both just kind of bottom of the UFC barrel, and everything that Vandera did to Cortez Costa is stuff that Chase Sherman is perfectly capable of doing and in some cases can probably do better. Cortez Costa, like... He's another guy that, like Sherman, doesn't have much one-shot power by uh, by heavyweight standards. The, between all that and Acosta coming back three weeks after, you know, a fight that probably took a little bit out of him, I'm about to pick Chase Sherman in a UFC fight. Give me the underdog, Chase Sherman, to win a decision here. If Cortez Acosta wants to engage in kind of a low-power outside boxing match, that is Chase sherman's preferred way of fighting and i think he'll win that and he'll probably probably throw enough leg kicks to bother cortez acosta i mean i'm sure that once this fight was announced he and alan Beltrán, and brandon davis sat down and watched the Cortez costa fight we're like well we're going to kick this man's legs yeah uh if he does that for two rounds the third he might get saucy and, and and take a man down i could see him doing that uh give me chase sherman to win this one by uh, by uh decision and hey you know I, I can't believe I just picked Jay Sherman to win, but I think he's yeah. going to win this fight, and I think he's going to make it look pretty straightforward.
1: Yeah, what did you say the odds were again?
0: Cortez Acosta, minus 190, Sherman plus
1: 160. Yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was going to be bigger than that. Uh, yeah, I, he didn't look good, which is – I thought he looked great on the – I shouldn't say great, but he looked better on, on the contender series that he looked on uh, in his debut. Now, Sherman, I'm going to – we just previewed Sherman versus uh, – Josh Parisian, and I'm gonna say everything that I said last time because he didn't fight. So uh, he it looks like he'd be a good athlete in the division, but he really isn't. Uh, he's a boxer. He, he uses feints well, but he does uh, he does overextend on his shots sometimes. Uh, his left hook is his best strike. Uh, I like that he looks for elbows inside. Uh, he busted up ike villanova with elbows in size uh as you mentioned he's a high volume guy uh he gets better as the fight goes along but he lacks power he's a point he's a point fighter um which is weird for the heavyweight division good calf kicks he, he stays uh right in front of his opponent which is not good he, he's you know he doesn't move at all uh, he doesn't have much of a ground game uh, when he's been taken down uh, a bunch of times he struggles to get back up uh, and he's been subbed a bunch of times. Now, the one thing about Acosta, Acosta's a huge dude. Uh, he's a boxer. Good. Well, I like he has good volume. You mentioned his jab. He's stiff jab. Uh, I think it was a little better than uh, you were giving it a credit for. Uh, he does throw straight shots down the pipe. I, I said it's his best tool. I mean, like well, yeah, but you like you said like. <laughs> well, I think he said something like, "Yeah, it's his best tool." but it was like, nothing special, or something like that.
0: Yeah. It didn't look as good against Vandera as it did on the Contender it didn't Series. The as contender as all, series. Yeah, 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 Contender. He yeah. looked
1: like a really good boxer that was coming yeah. in. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think we're in agreement <laughs> with that. Um, I, I'm, I'm gonna say I'm gonna give it like somewhere between what we saw in his debut and what was on the contenders here. So I'll put like middle of the pack. Like he looks really okay. good with it.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, he throws straight punches down the pipe, um, and then he, he what he does is he, he like throws a jab, follows with a straight shot, and then he tries to get in that distance. Then he starts swinging those big, huge power sh- shots, whips the overhand. Uh, he does well to like wrap it around his opponent's defense. He also sits on his punches. He generates some pretty good power, but he keeps his chin high in the air. And then, as you mentioned, the big thing about him is those calf kicks. I mean, you mentioned it. Like, he almost lost that fight with just one simple thing. Uh, And and we still have major questions about about his uh, ground game. (sighs) Dude, I, I was so close. I was so close to taking Chairman. I really do. Um, one thing I do like about Acosta, even for a guy who's big, I like his volume. I mean, his volume in, in the Vandera fight was was really high for a heavyweight. Um, he does have the power advantage. There is an avenue for victory for Sherman, and I think they're going to go that avenue. I just think he's going to – I'm going to say Acosta catches them with something big. So give me Acosta. I'll say he wins by first-round knockout.
0: All right. Yet another bit of dissension on this card and another, but uh, fairly, fairly tricky I, fight to pick. I, I was close. With that, we come to the co-main event and the first in the Texas versus Moldova double header that tops the card of UFC Vegas 65. It is a light heavyweight matchup between Kennedy Zechikwu and Iwan Kudalaba. Zechikwu, the 30 year old Nigerian by way of Dallas-Fort Worth is 10 and three overall. He is 4-3 and three since joining the UFC out of the second season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he did win his last time out. He knocked out Carl Roberson in the third round. That allowed him to snap the first losing streak of his career as he had dropped back-to-back fights to Da Unjung Jung and Nikolai Negamariano. He will look to make it two in a row against Kudalaba. The 28-year-old Moldovan is 16-8-1 one with one no contest overall. He is five-seven and one in the UFC. He is on a two-fight losing streak, and both of them are first-round finishes. He was uh, guillotined by Ryan Spann back in May at UFC on ESPN. Blahovich versus Rakic came back on September 10th at UFC 279 and got choked out in the first round by Johnny Walker. So uh, after back-to-back first-round losses to two of the biggest light heavyweights in the division he gets the other biggest light heavyweight in the division (laughs) kudalaba the 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 ufc just really likes like photo ops of him looking up at somebody i guess (laughs) uh and azetchikwu is the, the moderate favorite here he's minus 170 kudalaba plus 145. uh keith i mean you said between uh segments here, you know, you just kind of groaned and said, Uh, I'm tired of talking about Iwan Kudalaba fights. And you know what? I'm gonna toss this to you first, but I, if you're anything like me, it's because even though the guy is still only 28 years old, he just has the feeling of, of a fighter that's not gonna change. Yeah. Like he is he is effectively the same fighter he was when he got to the UFC like four or five years ago. He'll rack up some surprising wins because of his incredible athleticism. Yeah. And he'll always lose some fights in weird, dumb ways because of some of the most legendarily <laughs> yeah. bad fight IQ in Yeah, let's get
1: up to the main event. <laughs> 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 yeah, so so I'll say this. Yeah, he does enough that you you see the skills in him. It's there. And you pick against him, you pick against him, and then he, like, wins a fight, and you stop believing in him, and then he takes, like, two steps back again, or three steps back. And then just when you're about to give up on him, he wins again and pulls you back in, and just, like, this ongoing thing with him. It was crazy. I'm, I'm not sick of watching him fight because he's exciting. It's fun. It's going to no matter what's going to happen. It's going to be chaos. But, like, he's in the co event. Like, when are we going to move on from this guy being, like, getting this attention? Like, there's guys deserve, that deserve a higher place on this card than he does. Um, but uh, you, want me, I'm you want me to get into the fight? Yeah, yeah, go go for it. Yeah, so uh, this week was crazy for me. Um, I definitely didn't get to do as much tape study as I normally like to do. Um, and because of that, I had to kind of pick guys that I who not to do tape study on. Kudalaba was one of them. Um, at this point, I kind of feel like I know what I got with him. Derek Lewis was another one. <laughs> like I'm like, eh, I kind of know what I know what we got with Derek Lewis. Uh, Kudalaba he's he's your wrestle boxer. He's short. He throws hard shots. Uh, he can often overthrow his shots. Uh, he likes to load up um, with his left hook, which is like his big kill switch. He, um, but he telegraphs everything as he as he unloads. Uh, he we've seen it in the past he doesn't pace himself he come out really aggressive uh what i do like is he comes from a wrestling background and he's been wrestling a lot more lately I and mean, we saw it. he took down devon clark who's a good wrestler in his own right he took down i think uh, devon clark like eight times he took down dustin kobe who's a really good uh fighter in the division took him down nine times uh johnny walker he took down but he made a position uh, he made a mistake in the last night he like he rushed a position rushed to advance on the ground he really had that fight one if he just controlled himself uh but he didn't he was too aggressive that's where Walker was able to um sweep get on top uh he, and and then he he got submitted right yep yeah, he got submitted yeah yeah um,
0: he's, he's been tapped out in the first round in, in his last two fights span and Walker. two fights are okay there. yeah
1: okay. um uh, he can he can get in the grind in the clinch a little bit because he's he's super strong, but we've seen him pass out uh gas out, excuse me, in, in the past. So uh that's concerning. Kenny and and Juku, um it's crazy how big this dude is. He's he can work like an outside game, long jab from the outside, but really he prefers to be in the pocket. Um he he used pressure really good to get Kyle Robinson in the back home in the last fight, uh, which is good, but he, he doesn't have power. for Like, a guy that's huge, um, he's not going to really crack you. Uh, he also doesn't tuck his chin. He's got some defensive holes. He pulls his head straight back. He pillars. Uh, he hits a lot of big shots. Uh, good kicking game, though. Throws a lot of front kicks. I like his step-in knees. And then when he gets in that, that mid area, especially the clinch, if he gets in the clinch, he's super strong, lands knees easily because of how big he is. Uh, he likes to wrestle, but he isn't a strong wrestler. But when he's on top, I mean, you're talking about killer Grandin mean, Palmer. just look at the size of him. Look at his fight against Carl Robertson, where he's dropping these mean elbows on Robertson. Uh, not a submission threat. He isn't a strong defense wrestler because, um, based on his background, but he can get up. I mean, he's super big. He has like that Derek Lewis just kind of post an arm, slowly work himself way up, and just so big that it's hard to hold down. Uh, I. He has pretty good cardio. Um, he, but I'm a little worried about his chin. He's been cracked uh, a couple of times. I think about like the uh Doug Chung uh fight, checked him. Yeah, he checked his chin, so that's a little concerning. Prediction after just shitting on the guy, I'm gonna take (laughs) Kudalaba. Like, I like his wrestling. Uh, I like that he's been wrestling a lot. I I like that he has understood that that's happening to go. It's gonna be hard to hold Njuku down. Um, but I think he's gonna get some takedowns. I think he's gonna be really close. I think he might maybe have to endure a scare from from Kenny. And you know what? Fuck it. No, I'm not. I'm switching my pick right on the fly. <laughs> like, yeah. What am I doing? Like, like Kula was gonna take him down. He's gonna be winning, and then he's gonna screw something up. He's gonna end up underneath Kenny and Jukko, and Jukko's gonna blast his face off with grind and pound. And that's what's gonna happen. It's gonna be those ones where you look at it and you're like, Kudla is a better fighter, but he didn't win. Because he made a mistake and is and gonna beat him. So, yeah, I switched my pick on the fly. Give me Kennedy Juku by uh, I'll say second round TKO, third third round. T- make a third round.
0: I like I am in agreement with every element of that, and I thought we were gonna differ here because you know I'm I'm leaning Kennedy uh, Andjukwu. The problem with me with Kudalaba, and this I mean this is something I said about uh, Trevin Giles. I, the last time we previewed one of his fights. He is one of the more skilled guys in the division. He has like excellent physical gifts, but there's a moment in just about every one of his fights where he just makes a single bad mistake, defensive blunder, poor choice. And if his opponent is fresh enough and sharp enough and well-coached enough to take advantage of that, Trevin Jones loses that fight, even if he was winning, even if, if he was the better fighter. That is Kudalaba times 10. And the, like with Kudalaba, the wheels fall off so suddenly when they fall off. Like his best wins, like just the steam Khalil Roundtree, out wrestling Devin Clark at his best, he can go right at top 15 fighters in the area of their strength and beat them badly. Like Clark's best element is probably his wrestling. Khalil's Browntree, obviously, his best element is his stand-up, like specifically his power. And Kudalaba can go right at those guys and finish them or, or you know, outperform them. But then, when he loses, it's fast and ugly. The the Walker and Span losses both. And in Walker and Span, he's fighting two guys that are themselves like a little inconsistent and capable of poor performances from one fight to the next. But Kudalaba is more prone to poor performances, and in both cases made a specific strategic blunder that led to him getting finished in the first round. That's dangerous against uh, Kennedy Njuku. Uh And the other thing that that makes me less comfortable picking Kudalaba in this fight is that despite the fact that Njuku is gigantic and presumably has a substantial weight cut, I trust his third-round cardio better than I do Kudalaba's, especially if Kudalaba has spent most of the fight wrestling. Uh, Kudalaba is a very good wrestler, but, you know, I've mentioned this difference a few times on our recent uh, previews. There's the kind of wrestler who's very successful at wrestling, but he is getting tired faster than his opponent, especially if there are a lot of map returns or it takes a lot of work to maintain control. And then there are the kind that they're taking the opponent down and the opponent is the one wearing out first. Kudalaba has a very, like, physically exertion-heavy Style of wrestling. He's a very powerful uh wrestler. He picks people up and dumps them down. He gets emphatic. Uh, Matt returns when he has to, and it has not been great for his gas tank. So there's a the possibility Kudlaba makes a bad mistake early and gets zapped, or just runs right into a guillotine by shooting on a much taller guy with super long arms, like
1: he did to Ryan Span. Yeah, that's or- a good point. That that actually that's a good point. He could get guillotine quick.
0: Uh, or, or there's the possibility that like it's actually a back and forth wild fight where neither guy has really put a stamp on it, but in the third round, just Kennedy has more left in the tank and he's piecing up Kudalaba from distance, and Kudalaba's just kind of like running at him, waist you know bent at the waist, looking for takedowns. So I, I'm taking Injuku here. i if Kudalaba lamps him in the first round, that's my second most likely outcome. So it's not like I think Injuku is, is ten times better. I just I, I trust him a little more, which is saying a lot because you know these are two of the more inconsistent fighters this talented in the ufc but uh yeah give me kennedy and chukwu by uh second round tko but almost no outcome here would surprise me like kudalab has been in a couple of the weirdest fights in recent memory like obviously the first and kalaya fight the paul craig fight where yeah he got tapped out in the third round by paul craig and that's what happens but the rest of the fight was this weird carnival of fouls and oh that brings us to the main event of UFC Fight Night 215, a heavyweight matchup between Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak. Lewis, the 37 year old Houstonian, is 26 and 10 with one no contest overall. He is 17 and eight in the UFC. And while he has been a title challenger, longtime contender, and just generally a staple of the division. He has lost three of his last four, and all of them have been by finish. Uh, he got TKO'd by Surreal Gan in the third round in the headliner of UFC 265. Came back from that with a quick first round knockout of Chris Dawkins, then got knocked out in the second round by Tai Tuivasa at UFC 271 this February came back and got knocked out in the first round by Sergey Pavlovich at UFC 277 in July. Uh, he'll look to get things back on track against Spivak. The 27-year-old Moldovan is 15-3 overall. He is 6-3 in the UFC. He is on a two-fight win streak. Uh, a first-round TKO of Greg Hardy, followed by a second-round TKO of Augusto Sakai, That most recent fight took place at UFC on ESPN, Santos versus Hill in August. So, Lewis looking to not make it three in a row, Spivak looking to make it three in a row. Spivak is a comfortable favorite. He is minus 195, Lewis plus 165 as the underdog. Uh, It's funny that, you know, you you mentioned that you kind of skipped the tape study on, on Lewis. And I completely understand why, because, you know, Lewis is Derek Lewis and you and I have previewed I you know, I think 4 or 5 of his fights. I didn't do any additional tape study, but I did revise my notes. Th- here's the thing. The the book on Derek Lewis, my usual spiel has been the same for the, you know, 2 years or something that we've been doing these shows. He's not a one-dimensional slugger. He has a surprising unconventional get-up game. His offensive arsenal is more diverse than you think. His cardio is better than you think and through it all, he has an incredible chin and is surprisingly defensively sound. You, you don't rack up 26 fights in the UFC heavyweight division if your chin is just on the gunnery range every single fight. I've had to, to revise those notes a little bit. Ty Tuivasa knocked him out cold. Like, that was a Derek Lewis fight. He was toe-to-toe with yep. another slugger. They were exchanging. They both got their licks in. Tuivasa was in trouble too, but Tuivasa was younger fresher and when he hit lewis this time lewis went down face planted surreal gone pieced lewis up with kicks and just he you know he dominated the distance he controlled the rhythm of the fight lewis never really fully got untracked and he just got out game plan and just he just got beaten by a, a a better fighter and then pavlovich took all of 55 seconds ran right through him so Lewis, I mean, you can argue that the division has caught up with him and and passed him to some extent. I mean, Gone Tuivasa and Pavlovich are all part of the youth movement in the heavyweight division. They're guys that, I mean, they weren't in the division. Well, I mean, Tuivasa might have been in the division five years ago, but he was not the guy he is now. You know, he was a he was a sideshow. He was he you know he was what all the punchlines about Lewis were. You know, he barely trains. He's just this kind of you know big sloppy dude. Like these guys weren't in the UFC or they weren't the fighters they are, you know, just a couple of years ago. So it's possible that at 37, the chin is starting to go. The surprisingly adept reflexes in close quarters have slipped just that little bit. And this being a game of inches where all these guys have power, it's it's enough to knock Lewis out of the top five where he's been for a long, long time. I mean, that would make me sad to see because Lewis is the type of fighter that... If the chin and the reflexes are gone, he's going to end his UFC run on a string of ugly knockouts because he doesn't know another way to fight, and he's not going to survive the firefights that that he, that he has for so long. Spivak is a developing striker, but he is neither gone nor is he Tuivasa. You know, Spivak has been steadily improving throughout his UFC run. Uh, like, he's undergone a physical transformation, just as, you know, I think he's had he's well one he's gotten older he's still only 27 but uh as he's gotten access to better training i mean hell he probably wasn't even doing this full time when he got to the ufc like he got to the ufc off of wins over like tony lopez and travis fulton and he was just (laughs) kind of like this he was like this pudgy 23 year old kid from moldova now he's like 10 pounds heavier and has dropped 10 pounds of fat yeah becoming and becoming a better uh becoming a better striker, still kind of a, a grinder to me, like just clinch yeah. mauling and ground mauling are still his thing. And you would think that would be a recipe for, okay, this might be the highest ranked guy that Lewis has this good a shot of beating. I am picking Lewis here and it's not like <laughs> a Homer pick, Yeah, but it is kind of a Homer pick because the one thing I, I will say is for a, a fighter who is as associated with his hometown, as Derrick Lewis is. And Derek Lewis is one of the more popular fighters in the UFC, but he is he is as popular in Texas as any fighter in the UFC. Like, he might as well be Conor McGregor in in Ireland for All how right. popular he is. All right, slow it down a little
1: bit. You can go well, with the can, number two one if you want, not Conor. Okay. You can go to the number two one if you want. He's like, the, he's like the Diaz
0: brothers in, okay, you know, it, in uh, the Bay Area. North, like you know to the point where he, he like breaks through into into regular yeah, media yeah. and like regular like grocery stores and restaurants are doing promotions you really? know about the di- yeah yeah dude the <laughs> Popeye's chicken shows... like 10 t- Popeye's chicken 10 miles from me gave out free chicken if he uh if he beat uh yeah. I mean they weren't risking much because it, w- it was if he beat uh I want, Daniel I want, Cormier for the interim title <laughs> but- I want
1: Derek Lewis wearing like a Bucky shirt <laughs> like, like you walk around like Buckys in this pictures of Derek Lowe's. I like, guarantee he, you he has
0: he has a Bucky shirt. Um everyone
1: in Texas has a Bucky yeah. shirt.
0: But dude, for a guy that is such a hometown hero, he fights so badly in Texas compared to how he fights in the Apex. Like he's undefeated in the Apex and he's lost his last... like the three fights he's lost in his last four, they've all been in Texas. Uh, I'm not saying that it's completely attributable to that, but it is in some ways. You know, when he's at home, surrounded by his entourage, not just, you know, Bob Perez and the few people that travel with him when, I mean, Tui Vasa might've beaten them anyway, but that was Lewis trying to get a, a knockout for the hometown fans. Sure. He, he just does better at the apex. Like if, if he fights a sensible fight, I think like, again, Unless he really has faded, this is kind of tailor-made for Lewis because he'll get the better of things on the feet against Spivak. Spivak doesn't have Tuivasa one-shot power, not even close. He doesn't have surreal gun, footwork and hand speed. If Spivak takes him down, you know, uh, Lewis's goofy, I'm going to bench press you and then stand up, uh, you know, get up game still seems to work on most uh, UFC heavyweights. There's not a whole lot of confidence here. At 37, uh, I am resigning myself to the idea that Lewis's run as a top five heavyweight is probably over. If he loses here, his run as a top 10 heavyweight is is over. And I don't envision any of it getting better. Like, you know, he's aging. A new generation is coming up. Spivak is part of that generation. But stylistically, this should still be right in Derek Lewis's wheelhouse. Uh Give me Lewis by a third round KO here, probably having lost one or both of the first two rounds, probably having gotten taken down and had to you know, take his time getting back up. But yeah, not super confident in it. And if Spivak runs through him, then I, I've learned something this weekend. But uh, yeah, give me one last great hurrah for Derek Lewis in the empty and relatively quiet UFC apex that has become his second home.
1: Yeah, so uh just, just to give some clarity because I, I know people like to follow our picks and bet and again i always like to tell people like we're not a betting show don't like don't yeah i mean we give you some advice uh we, i, I don't like to i don't like to tell people to bet i just i just don't like it yeah. um <laughs> well, i'm just worried about your money i guess yeah. um but uh yeah we try to give some information what we see uh Sometimes we have really, really good nights. Sometimes we have really bad nights. And, and one thing I, I, I do say that we don't do is we don't brag if we have good nights. We don't, at least I don't think we do. We might tease each other a little bit, but, you know, we're not try to be like, oh, it's easy money, like always. Let's just, you know, like this. Yeah,
0: no, no, it is not easy money. If it was, <laughs> we would bet.
1: Um. Yeah, we yeah, would be a betting nice show, yeah. Uh, if you want betting advice, uh, Jay Patchy writes a wonderful article on uh, on the website, uh, Sean Sheehan does his top five picks, uh, top five bets. Excuse me, uh, yeah. those are good shows. Is obviously there's all the betting things. Um, but what I I just want to give us a little background. So I didn't do any tape study. But what I do do, and I do this every single fight card. I have my notes on each fighter that's fighting, and I will put little. I, I was doing like an italics, so I know that was for the last fight. Um, just things I noticed in their fight. So like. In case I get to where I can't do tape study, at least I did. I added my notes. I updated my notes since, like, so, like, whatever happens in this fight, there'll be updated notes on Derek Lewis. So it should be a little different than last time. But I just want to put that out there. Uh, and then what happens when I get to the week? I try to rewatch fights on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Derek Lewis, he, he's, I mean, he's gigantic, a gigantic human being. Uh, he moves. I mean, you mentioned it, he moves really well for a heavyweight. Like, I always said that he has a really good high kick. Uh, I'm, I'm waiting for him to land a beautiful like Mirko Crocop put someone out with it. Uh, I love his flying knees. Uh, as I mentioned, even if you block one of his knees, it's it it looks good. Just moves you across the cage. Uh, he's he's a very um, wait 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 and then explode kind of guy. Um, he's historically the hardest hitter in the UFC history, the most knockouts. Uh, I've said this over and over and over again. He does not get enough credit for his accuracy. Um, a lot of people just think of, oh, a big, big guy. That's why he knocks people out. Yeah, it's also where way he plays it, like, like catching Curtis Blades coming in and, and different things. Uh, the, the, he, dude, the
0: Volkov knock. If you watch the Volkov knockout in slow motion, it's like pinpoint.
1: Yeah, and the thing about him and Francis out and the biggest guys is – you know the guys historically for the knockout power. Even like when like Chuck Liddell, they don't have to land clean. They just have to land in like a in, in a certain zone, and they're putting you out. Um, and and that's what he does so well. Uh, he he doesn't get enough credit for his gas tank. We've talked about this, like because he he doesn't carry about it. He looks like he's tired. He he looks like even when he's fighting, he looks like he's always in pain. Um, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like he just looks like his knees are hurting yeah. him, his backs yeah, just like. kind of
0: like, you know, and just hands are down a little bit and like just yeah, has this pain look on his face. Yep. But
1: he, like when have we seen him like tired? Like like obviously he's tired, he's a heavyweight, but yeah. you mean like it was like, oh man, that I was going really good until Derek Lewis gassed out. Like that's that doesn't happen. Yeah. Nope. Um and, I mean, and don't believe me, look at the numbers. Like, how I many late stoppages the guy has?
0: He is uh, again. He's the UFC's all-time leader in knockouts now, but long before that, he was the UFC's all-time leader in knockouts in round three or later.
1: Yeah, other than having historically good power, other than like, take that out, mm-hmm. he's everything. He's the complete opposite of what people view him as. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they look at him as a lumbering guy. No, he's extremely athletic. They look at him as a guy who was going to gas out because of that power of your probably power. You guess out. No, he like wins late fights. Uh, uh, you know we. we he, he is a bad wrestler, but as you mentioned, he's one of the hardest guys to hold on. Yeah, you have to be Daniel Cormier to hold him down. If you're not, he gets up. He waits, he waits, he waits. He has a little bit of an opening, and then he gets back up to his feet. Uh, if he's on top of you, I say, like, it, it, anytime someone commits a like terrible crime, something – like get rid of the like, death sentence. Just put Derek Lewis on top of you, dropping ground pound. Like it must be the scariest thing ever. Um, but the thing about him, it's always been that rock, rock chin can't crack him. Don't stand in the because you're not going to hurt him. And he's going to hurt you. That's not the case. You you mentioned uh, Tai Vasa. Um, who was the other guy? Just hurt him. Um, Pavlovich. Yeah, Sergei Pavlovich has been back-to-back fights where he's been hurt bad. Um, so I'm a little worried about his chin, and I'm also worried about his, how he responds to it. Like, is, is he going to be gun-shy? he would be scared to let his hands go. But I think Sergei Spivak is at least the guy that's not going to scare him in that route. Now, Sergey might scare him on the ground, but I don't know if Derek Lewis is going to be scared to, like, throw down with Sergei Spivak. Now, Spivak... He's flat-footed. He's a, he's a weak athlete, if I'm being honest. like He's not a good athlete uh, on the feet. You, you mentioned that he's he's coming along as a striker. At one point, he was so one-dimensional. But, he, you know, he's a serviceable boxer. Throws throws a jab. Um, uh, he beat up Carlos Felipe with his jab. Uh, he follows a basic one-two, basic kicking game. Uh, has some holes defensively, pillars, which I don't like. Doesn't really move his head. But he's a good wrestler, and he's a very unique style wrestling. He's not uh, Blasteria. He getting close, grab the clinch, look for foot sweeps. He throws a lateral drop, which if he does that to Derek Lewis, God bless him. Like I hope <laughs> he does. Like I hope he does because it'd be so much fun. and, and you know I, I don't root. I, I yeah. was talking to a guy. I was talking about a guy the other day. I don't even root. Like I, I don't even root for my picks. Like I don't even care if I'm right or wrong. I, I know that's I root. For the recap show, what's the most exciting thing to talk about in the recap show? That's what I wrote for. Yeah. Um, like lateral dropping, Derek Lewis—that'd be pretty fun to talk about. It would if, be
0: a great structural test of the octagon floor too. Yeah, that shit would be no shit. loud as hell in the apex. Yeah, no
1: shit. <laughs> um, it, it, yeah, be like, was it you see though? Like, uh, like you see like regional? I don't know. Like, what do you call them? Like. Wrestling shows, but they're not like dirty like the ones in like the American yeah, like
0: like thing. the the indie stuff, like yeah, yeah, okay, indie. Yeah. That's what I was looking yeah. for,
1: indie, like indie scene. Like they're at like American Legions and shit, and like the big fat guy gets body slammed and the freaking whole the cheap ass <laughs> ring collapse. Like I just want to see the I, I just want to see Sergey's be back, like either lateral drop or even more impressive. Grab grab, and he likes headlocks. That's what I'm saying. Get a yeah. headlock where he does a full five points. Like legs are flying over the head, move both of them going in the air, and and this lands in the octagon. The whole octagon just falls apart, just just <laughs> explodes.
0: Like the walls fall outwards. Just yeah, just goes out. <laughs> the middle of the yeah. floor just dents in, and-
1: <laughs> yeah, like with like you see kids playing with their brothers and they like fighting on. They go like smash on the coffee table. The whole coffee table explodes and shit, or a table well, or well, sofa. That's or
0: that's the answer to the question. How could you have a UFC main event that ends in a no contest and it's actually a great thing?
1: That that would like, be that's it. it right there. No, no, I'm sorry, dude. If you, I know it technically is a no contest, dude. If you, if, <laughs> if you hit a five point move on a heavyweight and the whole octagon explodes, that's a win. I'm sorry, Sergey Spivak wins. Right. Like, <laughs> I'll, sorry. I'll allow it. You go back, like you go, you pull out the rule book, like the rule that no one ever knows, yeah. and it's uh. Yeah uh section 42f says if sergey spivak hits a headlock at derrick lewis in the octagon explodes sergey spivak wins <laughs> well you it's
0: I, I, and the ufc would have to redesign the octagon it would be kind of like like after shaq's first year in the nba they like yeah. gave, put breakaway rims because he like <laughs> you know broke like 10 backboards it would be like that it's like okay now we have the the post spivak octagon yeah. that's like reinforced differently
1: it's funny that you mentioned Shaq because that because Lewis is like a Shaq. Well, one they both have like those like funny like talking personalities. Yeah. They have like that deep voice, but they're like funny what they say. Uh, yeah. and obviously, they're two huge human beings. But even like how Shaq was viewed in the NBA, and guys, I'm not like right. It's not an NBA podcast, so don't at me if I'm saying something stupid, but. Um, like Shaq never got a credit for his athleticism, his like ability to run the court. And yeah. and I'm not talking about the fat days of the Celtics. No, but the, like, but the, the young Lakers, them, yeah. Yeah, Lakers, the magic. Like he's prime, the heat. No, he, yeah. yeah, he yeah, – he, um, But like he didn't get credit for his technical skills. I feel like Derek Lewis is like the same way. He's just like mm-hmm. just look at a guy and just stereotype like what he should be. Uh, even though I'm supposed to be talking about Sergey Spivak. Uh, Spivak, uh, even though he goes for these techniques – I'm always like, oh, God, it's not going to work one time because he's willing to give up his back to get a takedown. Like, I, I, I think of uh, – and this is going way back in the time machine, but remember when um, Remco Pardue was was fighting? Oh, yeah. And he, sure. he'd, he'd, he'd get to the clinch and he'd do that, like, judo throw where they, like, just sweep out the arm where they actually give the guy his back, but they're holding the arm. Like, he did against Orlando Wheat in UFC 2. And he's got his arm across. But like nowadays, guys would like throw a hook in and like slowly take their back. Like Spivak does that with like the headlock and the scarf and all that. where they kind of giving up their back and they put themselves in a dangerous position, kind of like we just saw Carlos Spaza doing like a Peterson, where she's got her arms behind, which she's kind of having her back to her opponent. Oh, I think it's not going to work for him one time. But the other thing about the lateral drop against Derek Lewis, like if he goes for that, the You better go. You better make it all the way through because if Derek Lewis falls on top of you, (laughs) good luck.
0: The the fight's fight's over.
1: It's over. Yeah, besides being on top, just he's, he's, his groundhog is legendary. Yeah. Um, He's much, his much safer route, and I expect this. He can shoot. He will shoot on the hips, and he also likes snatch singles, getting close and just snatch a single, run, kind of run the pipe or just turn the corner with it. Um, that's the best belt. You don't want Derek Lewis on top of you. Um, his ground upon has come a long way, and he's re- he really is a submission threat. So, uh, there's a really good chance, and this is his my prediction. There's a really good chance Sirius Spear takes down Derek Lewis and just submits him quick. Like I could see that happen, even though I'm saying how tough it is to hold. Derek Lewis down, how hard it is to submit him. Uh, it, he's up there in age. You wonder about his motivation. it, it You know, it wouldn't shock me if he's taken down and, and submitted. And I expect him to take down Derek Lewis two or three times. But I think I'm not ready to write off Derek Lewis completely. I think if the old Derek Lewis is still there and he's not shot. And I, I know I do this sometimes. I'm like the anti-Belichick, where Bill Belichick is oh, would rather be a year early than a year late on a player. Like he lets a guy go, and and the you know, Patriots fans go crazy, and then then it finds like, oh, yeah, Bill Belichick was right, <laughs> like over <laughs> and over again. Um, I, I I know I can kind of hold. I mean, I I picked Frank Egger to win this weekend, so um, I I'm hoping I'm wrong. Oh sure, I'm hoping I'm right. I'm hoping Derek Lewis is still there. I'm hoping he finds a way back to his feet, and I think he does. And I think he has one last haymaking shot in him, and I think he he's going to find it. And I say he doesn't. I think he's going to knock him out. I'm going to say Derek Lewis, late first round knockout.
0: There you go. Uh, two picks for the upset in the main events and for what we both seem to be admitting might be one of the last gasps for uh, one of the – more reliably enjoyable uh, heavyweight contenders of the last decade in the UFC. But uh, the way we picked a lot of upsets
1: upsets on this card. We did pick a lot of upsets on this card. Uh, (laughs) Might be hard talking on the recap show. oh I was uh... (laughs) a, That was four and nine. All right.
0: Yeah,
1: my, 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 might be a real short
0: recap show. Yeah, not a whole lot to say. Hey, anything interesting happened? All right. Yeah, Talk please to you hey, next week. Hey, please
1: tune please tune in on Wednesday or, or yeah. please tune on a Monday when the preview for the next card out. See if we can <laughs> do better than four and nine.
0: All right, that is it. The SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC. Fight Night 215, Lewis versus Spivak. I have been your host, Ben Duffy. He has been your analyst in residence, Keith Schillen. Uh, If this is your first time watching one of our previews, first of all, thank you. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it. We do our best to provide a mix of serious analysis and prediction with a few uh, side voyages and plenty of uh, old school references. Uh, please do like, subscribe, leave us a comment in the comment section if you're watching this on YouTube. Keith and I are both good about responding to those. We love to hear your takes on these fights. If you've gotten the upset picks that we missed, if you think we're out of our heads on some of these, uh, both could be quite correct. So, uh, you know, get at us and we'll get right back at you. But most importantly, join us on the recap. We are live on the SureDog YouTube page about 15 minutes after the main event, where we will talk about this entire card in reverse order. Keith takes the captain's chair. We'll start talking about the main event, work our way all the way down to that women's flyweight curtain jerker. We'll talk about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, uh, what was controversial. There is pretty much always something. And the live chat is open during that entire time. So we're taking your questions and comments in real time. We would love to have your input. We have a a real fun community there that kind of hangs out after the fights and talks about them. Uh, So please do join us. Between now and then, uh, thank you once again for watching. Enjoy the rest of your week and by all means, enjoy the fights.